0: Welcome to Steel Watching, which is a podcast for Remington Steel fans. My name is Sarah, and I am one of the hosts.
1: And I am Sarah, and I am, no, I'm Eric, wait I'm a one minute. of your other hosts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, if you're me, then that means I'm you.
1: Yes. Okay. It's Halloween, we can, it's we can, a, yeah, I was just going to yeah, say, All Costumes. Right, <laughs> <laughs> By the time this gets out, it won't be Halloween, but right now we're recording it. It's almost Halloween, so it yeah, is. we can. We can pretend Spooky. to be other people. And that's hey, what actually, all about.
0: this is perfect because mm. the episode, this is a good segue, watch this, that we're <laughs> going to be talking about is season two, episode nine, My Fair Steal, which of course includes putting on a costume and pretending to be something else. So
1: that's right.
0: Yeah, that was good, right? That was, that was good. Hey, only a teacher <laughs> could
1: pull that one off. That or a seasoned radio <laughs> professional, of which I am not. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this episode first aired on December 6th, 1983, and it was written by Brian Allen Lane, and that's not a name that I recognize, so I don't know if I, we've seen him before or not, and directed by your friend and mine,
1: Seymour Ross. Seymour! <laughs> hey, before we get into the episode, can we touch on a couple of things? Can we take sure. a, a sidetrack, yeah. go down a rabbit hole, so to speak? <laughs> You know, the Facebook group, Steel Watchers, got to love it. We get a lot of feedback and response from people in there. And I don't know about you, but I, I love it. But it's sometimes it. embarrassing, like when we screw
2: yeah, up. we messed stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> one, of our, one of our listeners um, was kind enough to point out something that I had never noticed in vintage steel.
0: Yep. When, I didn't Laura and, <laughs> when Laura and
1: when Laura and Steele are rolling the cask to the shed, they have it up on end. You know, and they're they're doing the roll it on the edge of the barrel thing. Yep. And then when they get it to the shed, they actually lay it down, which explains how the barrel managed to roll away from them. But it's like I never saw that before because. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, it's not going to stay there. It's, it's round.
0: It's round. It rolls.
1: <sighs> but, yes, they were uh, kind enough to point out our, our omission, our error on that. Also, they brought up a question about the seatbelts in vintage steel.
0: Yes, I saw that.
1: That got me looking. And I had responded to them in the in the Facebook group. And said that, you know, I thought that when the U.S. required seatbelts to be installed in cars, because, at, you know, prior to the point they did that, they weren't required. And that you were only required to use them if your car had originally had them installed from the factory. Right. So a car that, you know, didn't have them from the factory, you weren't required to use them. And I didn't know where the rabbit fit in with that. And it turns out that I was wrong. But I I don't want to dance on anybody's grave here, but uh, (laughs) our our listener was not entirely wrong and not entirely correct either. I did a little investigating, and of course, Wikipedia, everybody's favorite source. And as Michael Scott says, you know you can trust it because anybody can write anything about
2: anything. (laughs) So it's got to be true.
1: Uh, That in the United States, seatbelts were required to be installed in cars since about 1968. However, seatbelt laws are state issues, not federal, huh. and that at least one state, as of right now, still does not require the adults to wear seatbelts, and that is New Hampshire. Right. And that, <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been through New Hampshire. I've seen the way they drive. It doesn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's 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 a good idea not uh. to. I'm just saying that apparently they don't require them. And then in California, which is where, of course, Remington Steel takes place, they were not required usage or they were not required used. They were not. Their use was not required. Hey, uh, hey there we you go. Know, <laughs> in English are, are an easy thing to speak us. They were not required until 1986. So you had your car, it had seatbelts, but you weren't required to use them until 1986. And since we're talking about an episode in Love Among the Steel that took place prior to that. It's cool that Laura hopped in and they drove off and she wasn't wearing her seatbelts. I mean, legally cool. It's not physically safely.
0: Yes. My, my criticism was more about safety rather than legality, but uh, yeah. (laughs) However, now that you said that I, I Googled just really quickly just now when seatbelts were required in Canada, because I was curious as to whether or not it was similar and similar to the U.S., the uh, laws were made up; they're left up to the provinces, according to mm-hmm. Wikipedia. And uh, <laughs> Ontario was the first province to pass a law which required occupants to wear a seatbelt, which came into effect January first, nineteen seventy-six. And the last province to require seatbelts was the Yukon Territories. Well, actually, sorry, that is not a province; that's a territory, <laughs> the last area of Canada. Uh, they're, they're second rate, <laughs> aren't they?
1: Yes. I
0: know. Just very cold and a lot of ice. So this is not surprising because I can't imagine there's a lot of driving that is done in the Yukon territories. But it was July 1st of 1991. Mm-hmm. So, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but lots of like and the, the short on its heels is uh, the Northwest Territories followed uh, in 1988, followed by Prince Edward Island in 87. So. Yeah, it kind of spanned like two decades worth of getting our getting our seatbelt laws mm. in line. So uh that's kinda interesting. I didn't I didn't know that. So now I do. <laughs>
1: yes. And one other thing that came up in the group, um, there had been some issue apparently with our website, which, you know Yeah. Computers computers they're they're a funny thing, as somebody I once knew said, it's a miracle that computers work at all. Our hosting company, which does our podcast files and our website, has been very, very solid. But, you know, occasionally things happen. So they may have had a a momentary hiccup. But the issue kind of prompted me to uh, post a comment in response to the person who who commented about the, the website having issues. And I wanted to bring it up because if people are out there using Android's Google podcast player, Google podcasts. Um, Yeah, that's going away. Google has once again trashed another product and left its users just kind of hanging out there because, you know, we don't care because you're not the customer. The people that pay us for the ads are the customer. So um, yeah, that's going away. And my personal recommendation, this is just me personally, it's not the, not the podcast officially making this recommendation, Podcast Guru or Pocket Casts. Both are really good apps. Both, I believe, are available on Android and Apple. And they're both really solid apps. And if you're into Bitcoin at all, then Podcast Guru has some features that you can use to help support podcasters. So, you know, There's always that too. So anyway, if you're an Android user, you're using Google podcasts. Yeah. Get out while it's getting good.
0: (laughs) And speaking of the website, somebody else, Mm -hmm. sorry, somebody else had asked and I can't, I I wasn't able to fish up the link at the time that Mm -hmm. I saw the comment because I was probably running to or from somewhere work, wherever, but they had asked about whether or not there was still merch available in Uh, like for the t-shirts and stuff. And yes, Mm -hmm. if you go to the website, it, the link for that is there in the show notes and stuff.
1: Yes. So t-shirts, coffee mugs, um, various other things through uh, a third party, they print it on demand. So it's not like um, it's sitting there ready to go. It takes a few days for them to get it all processed and out to you, but they do do a pretty good job. Yep. So. Yep. 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 Anyway, sorry for the side trip, the rabbit (laughs) hole. Now, let's get back to the episode in progress. Remember those?
0: <laughs> yes, we were just talking about Seymour Robbie, our good friend yes. who directed the episode. Yes. Seymour! <laughs> uh, and this one, I put the TV Guide listing and the DVD liner notes down in my notes because I could not decide which one I preferred and for various reasons. So I'll read the TV Guide okay. listing and then the DVD liner notes. So the TV Guide listing says... Laura and Steele take part in a dying man's scheme to enable his kidnapped, adopted daughter to inherit his estate, a plan that involves her secret twin sister. That's a bit of word salad. TMI. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, wait, wait. I'll tell you why I like it in a second. Okay. okay. The DVD liner notes are a bit more, like, straightforward. A dying business tycoon hires the detectives to locate the twin sister of his jet-setting daughter, but the minute the missing daughter shows up, the other one disappears. That is perfect. That is a perfectly yes. succinct. Understand it. Why did I include the TV guide listing here? I don't I'll know. tell you why. The TV guide listing sounds like the plot of a Dynasty episode, and since <laughs> Roxy specifically says, "Oh, this is better than Dynasty," I just had to. I just had to do it because, like, listen to this again. Laura and Steele take place in a dying man's scheme to enable his kidnapped, adopted daughter to inherit his estate. A plan that involves her secret twin sister. I yeah, that's a Dynasty so
1: Dallas. Run. Any of those? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all you got to ask is who shot Jr. And you've got you, you've got it. Like it's that's there. Right. So, <laughs> who <Yeah>. shot Tracy? <laughs> or who kidnapped Tracy? Yes. <laughs> Uh, So yeah, I just the 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 DVD liner notes makes more sense, but the TV guide listing is is more fun to say. So, (laughs) yeah. Alrighty, shall we get started? Yes. So you and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but the script to this episode is a totally different episode. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> For one
1: thing, Tracy's not really a flake in the original no, version that we have. No, she's very
0: competent and very, like, yes. business savvy and, and yeah, just mm-hmm. very much on the ball, straightforward person. And the that, old man's yeah, already dead. She Yeah, he's already dead, and she suspects that he was murdered. Whereas right. totally different the, story. In the episode that we get, he dies from an illness, natural causes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's... Yeah, it, it it's a very, very different episode. Um and it's interesting how how some of it's similar, but some anyway, so yeah, I just thought I would you know, point and, that out.
1: <laughs> and the thing is, in the screen version that we see, you know, and, and they give the credits at the beginning of the episode, it just has Brian's name on it as the yes. author. But if you go to IMDB, they also list Butler and Gleason as co-writers of the episode. So I don't know what information IMDb has that they didn't put on the screen. I I, I would have thought that the union, you know, the writer's union rules would require that, you know, if they, they wrote a significant portion of it, that they would have to be credited, but they weren't on the screen. IMDB has them listed, so I don't know if there's an element of that that wound up changing the story into what we eventually got, or not. Or if if IMDB just got it wrong,
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it could have just been like a, a complete overhaul, rewrite, or mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's interesting though because yes. we I wonder why they made some of these changes because the episode that is scripted is a very, it's a very Remington steel episode. I, I can't uh-huh. see anything stru- structurally wrong with it per se. Um, in fact, some of it reads in my opinion, a little better than what we got in the filmed episode, but I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Whatever. So we'll,
0: I'll point out, we'll point out some of the differences when we get there, but we start with, the limo pulling up to a large mansion. Steel and Laura get it out. Fred. Yeah, I was just—that's in my notes. That doesn't look like Fred. Is that Fred?
1: <laughs> nope it <laughs> so, it ain't Fred. That's t- totally different weird, body size.
0: Because he's in the episode later. They they thank
1: although him. we don't see him.
0: No, they we do. He he comes out later and it's Fred. So mm. I don't know why. I, maybe they were shooting different days and they just couldn't get the same guy that day. I can't imagine that he'd be always on retainer to be in every episode that they need him to be in. Maybe he had other commitments for whatever day they need him for. I don't know.
1: Yeah. When, when he came out later and the, and Steele commented about Fred, I, I don't recall seeing the face of the person, but maybe, maybe it was there.
0: Yeah. Could be, or I could just be, because they said Fred, I could just be making it up. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Make stuff up. Who? Us? Yeah. Never. <laughs>
0: It's not like I uh, okay, so whoever it is lets them out of the limo. They walk up to the house, they ring the bell, it which we hear a lot
1: time and time again.
0: Have you ever had a a novelty, either bell or horn of some sort?
1: I haven't, but I have been to a few houses in the past that, yeah, they've had them.
0: My dad had a novelty horn in his car. Uh-huh. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Uh, it was the, oh, shoot. It was like the, it was some sort of rodeo tune. I don't
1: know. Mm.
0: Anyway, yeah, it was... the, you know, there. <laughs>
1: The kind Carry of thing that you get them, and it's, oh, it's so cool, it's so neat, until about the 30th like the, in the, episode the about yeah. the 20th time. You know, it's like I, like, I want to like, rip no. the thing off the
0: wall. <laughs> um, but what's weird about this is that this house is a mansion, and you've got very, very wealthy people that are very put together and concerned with appearances and propriety and, and all this other stuff. And then you've got the tackiest, most trailer trash bell as their doorbell it makes no sense Mm -hmm. it just that that roxy's comment about they got a whole band like it just doesn't feel like that doorbell belongs in that mansion
1: maybe the old man liked it i don't know
0: (laughs) maybe you know he, he
1: wasn't exactly
0: i can't imagine the butler cared for it
1: No, no, he didn't care for anything.
0: (laughs) No, he was the best. And here's the thing. He's not in the original script at all. The Mm -hmm. butler did not do it. (laughs) So I I don't know, maybe they added him just because they wanted to be able to say the butler did it at least once, but he, he wasn't in the... The original episode. So. Yeah,
1: but I loved his character. I mean, it's, it's a shame oh that God, he was the bad guy because he was so hilarious.
0: I was rooting for him most of the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, wonderfully just, like, snarky.
0: He just had no more, no. pardon the expression, but he had no more Fs to give, you know? He was just like, uh, he was the yeah. best. He was He's basically yes. what all of us want to do at our job. Yeah. <laughs> just be, like, just totally snarky and tell everybody how you th- what you think of them as it comes out That's of your right. face. Like,
1: That's right.
0: So, <laughs> he answers I Like the, the old, door. old
1: song, you know, take this job and shove it.
0: Pretty much, yep. Yeah. He answers the door, telling them both they're late. When Steele announces himself, he says he doesn't think so. And the butler adds that they're also slow. <laughs> so, he's... <laughs> He is snarky as hell. Um, yeah. And, of course, then we have this bit where Laura says we're here to see Ross Crockett, and the butler says that she is not allowed to see the client, as Mr. Crockett does not believe in women doing men's work.
1: I I had to wonder, how much of that is Crockett and how much of that is Markham?
0: <laughs> oh, that's entirely Markham. Because if you think about it, Crockett wanted to leave his entire business to his daughter, So I can't see that coinciding with a belief that you should let women should never be doing men's work. (laughs) Because that doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying Crockett was a perfect person.
1: The only explanation for why the old man would have done that and had that attitude is because he wanted to get his daughter to straighten up. But yeah, it, it did seem to be more Mark's attitude did
0: Definitely, else. definitely. And he just wanted to be a jerk. And yeah. so I think here's, here's the part that the element of the episode that I think feels a little forced in the sense that this episode gro- goes to great pains to remind us all that there's lots and lots of sexism in the world. <laughs> uh-huh. We know this. We, we, this is one of those things where we get subtle, or Laura gets subtle reminders all the time and usually handles it really well. And it's usually done with, with a purpose to it. Whereas mm-hmm. this seems to have all the subtlety of a hammer to the face. And it, it continues to be kind of bulldozed through as there's all kinds of sexism. Look at it everywhere. And and it's not just Markham. It it happens with Mildred, it happens with Steele, it happens. And it just feels very exaggerated and very much with the entire purpose of of making a side plot that never really lands for me. Whereas if you read through the script, there's a side plot where Laura gets jealous of Roxy and some quite genuine exchanges between Steel and Roxy, because Roxy has a crush on him, and it actually makes more sense. I would have preferred to have seen that side plot as opposed to this side plot, I guess, but I don't and know.
1: Can I say... With some fear and trepidation.
0: <laughs> hey, you're all the way over there. I can't uh, throw anything at you, so you're safe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that attitude, that approach of we're going to just shove it in your face time and time again, also affects the handling of Laura's character. Yes. Because yes. Her. <laughs> Her attitude, her response, her everything about her in this episode. And don't get me wrong. I love the episode. I think it's a great episode. It is a great episode. There's some
0: hilarious moments in this episode. I love Roxy Tracy, that whole dynamic. It's fabulous.
1: (laughs) Right. But I think the handling of Laura in this one was way over the top. Yeah. in context of the episode and in context of what we know about Laura and what we've seen from her, her responses were way over the top. But not and just her,
0: Steel too. He say a little bit
1: hypocritical.
0: Well, no, I, I mean, we'll get to some of the spots, but Steele has some yeah. moments where it just feels really out of character as well. And I, I think to myself, this is being done with the, it's similar to "Steal Away With Me, where the movie overtakes the episode. Because they're mm-hmm. doing My Fair Lady, right? So, right. in order to do that, we have to, I guess, incorporate all the elements. And some of it feels forced, and some of it really, really works. So, yeah, it's uh, we'll we'll get to some of the spots yeah. where. Uh, but <laughs> this is the first point. Like any other time that Laura has met with somebody being blatantly this sexist, she has called them out on it. But oddly enough, in this particular instance.
1: She rolls over.
0: She rolls over, which is weird because
1: And then well oh, all Steel
0: right. is the one we'll that we'll get offers to it to, and then sticks yeah. it to
1: Steel for it.
0: Yeah. But yeah. steel is the one here that offers to leave. And she yeah. says, no, 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 no. You go ahead and I'll sit you know, at, very um passive aggressively. Uh I'll do so the laundry, do the laundry. Yeah. or whatever it is. She says, yeah. <laughs> so it's just I'm surprised that she basically just didn't tell Markham where to shove it and walk out the door. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that Crockett being as wealthy as he is maybe played a hand in that. But in the past, Laura has not had an issue with turning down money when somebody mm-hmm. was a jerk. So <laughs> that yeah, one was or, weird. Or,
1: you know, kind of one of those, well, uh, perhaps you'd better let Mr. Crockett make that decision.
0: Yeah. And, just push by the butler because let's face it he's just no i mean no he's just the butler
1: yeah
0: i'm saying never mind he's killing people but yeah (laughs) he's just the butler (laughs) he's killing people because he's just the butler and he's ticked off about it but (laughs) 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 whoops Um, but i'm surprised that she didn't just say let like you said let let's let mr crockett decide and go up the stairs right so I don't know it, that that this is the part where if there was any moment where Laura could justifiably behave in an in an over the top way, it's here because mm-hmm. this is the right. person telling her straight up that you can't go up there because you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, she anyway. Steele offers to to walk away, but she, like we said, offers to stay. It was clean the drapes. That's it. She says she'll stay downstairs and clean the drapes, so Steele is taken to Mr. Crockett's room where the butler makes one final comment about Steele finally being there, which is quite funny. Steele is already unimpressed when Mr. Crockett asks to look at him and asks if he should he asks if he should stand at attention. yeah the actor <laughs> playing Thomas Crockett or sorry ross crockett mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm the na- the actor's name is Thomas Hill, and I recognize him immediately from the Movie The Neverending Story, which traumatized me as a child, as it traumatized all '80s children, and, <laughs> and he played Mr. Coriander, the bookseller. So for those of us '80s babies who watched this episode, I'm sure you noticed that as well. <laughs> but what was funny is that Mr. Coriander in the film is very like kind. Well, he's he's not kind. He's he's a, he bites people's heads off, but he also has this sort of like twinkling in his eye to get the. And Here's just a kind of a jerk <laughs> so yeah he's uh surprised that Steele is not american and Steele quips that he's inordinately fond of mom apple pie and baseball if that helps which we know <laughs> one of those is a lie because so we haven't gotten there yet but second base steel yeah if he's if he's fond of baseball shouldn't he know something about it
1: <laughs> well it, it, he wasn't being sincere he no. was just being sarcastic <laughs>
0: Well, because he also doesn't know who his mom is, so that's, yeah, that's true too. That yeah. True. Uh, uh, so yeah, Crockett uh, seems to be satisfied with his reputation and asks for help getting up. Steele helps him up and inquires as to how the Remington Steel Agency can help him. Crockett tells him that 29 years ago, he adopted a daughter and asks if he has heard of her. Steele diplomatically calls Tracy a jet setter, and Crockett corrects him by saying she's a flake. Adding Perfect that, description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adding that he has no Steele has no idea how many gigolos he's had to pay off, or cops <laughs> he's had to bribe, or how many times he's had to repurchase all her worldly possessions from fad religious groups. Which, given that this episode would have aired in the wake of, like, Jonestown and some of the other big cults that that came to be in effect around, like, mm-hmm. the the 60s, 70s, this would be a, a comet that would land in the cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. of things. So, it's kind of funny there.
1: <laughs> also, yeah, we, we had a, my wife and I and our kids were living in Oregon at the time, and yeah, we had the Rajneeshis.
0: Oh, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, and there was, the Children of God were another big one uh, that that sort of came up in the 70s, and yeah, there was just a lot that... that, The
1: ones that were waiting for the spaceship to come?
0: No, that was Heaven's Gate.
1: Okay, there (laughs) you
0: go. there's a lot, (laughs) and this is now showing how much research... Heaven's Gate as
1: opposed to Ocean Gate.
0: Yeah, well... Sorry. This (laughs) is also showing how much research I've done on colts and how yeah. Thinking like, no of
1: joining one, are we?
0: No. Doing a little no, shopping. <laughs> yeah, compare and call. you have to compare. You can't just pick the first cult that's you right. find. That's right. you know, you've got to figure out which one works for you. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, no, you because
1: there's no refunds. There's no refunds. Yeah, exactly.
0: Before you drink the Kool Aid. So that's right. Anyway. Steele asks which of the above concerns him now, and Mr. Crockett says, if only it were that simple. He tells Steele that now that he's on death's door, he's pretty animated and, like, he seems fine. I'd like to know what illness he dies of, because he doesn't, aside from having trouble getting up and coughing Mm -hmm. a bit, he doesn't really seem to be on death's door. (laughs) so I'm, I'm curious. Well, like, you would think if it was cancer, he'd be weaker.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they don't specify, so obviously we don't know. But, yeah, you know, I have heard of situations where people who are gravely ill just before they pass do get seem better. to yeah. get better. They do seem to be more spry and better health and doing better. And everybody thinks, oh, they're going to recover. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, No. mm -mm, Bango. Mother
0: nature's way of giving people the middle finger. Don't you think? (laughs) Like (laughs) here's your loved one. They're up and about. They're feeling better. Oh, too bad. We lied.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or it's, you know, Hey, there's one last chance to, uh, they're, they're, well enough that they can actually interact with you. And so you get one last chance to talk to them and bury your soul and tell them how much you love them in spite of the fact that they were real jerks to you and, or, you know, whatever.
0: I suppose that's a glass half full way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway. so he says that uh, he wants to confront a secret that he's carried for years. He says that Tracy has a twin sister separated from birth that he he didn't find out about until later after the adoption now i given what you've told me, I'm going uh-huh. to assume you know more about this than I do. so here's my question
2: uh-huh.
0: how common would it be to split twin sis, twin siblings up? I would think that they would that they would want to keep twins together and would they be able to do that without telling the potential adoptive parents that there is a sibling
1: oh there are so many things in this that uh um, okay
0: so that's why i asked you because i i don't know anything about that process
1: it depends on as far as the first part of the question would they split them or no there's a lot of different factors involved um but generally i think now that's Not what they would typically try to do. They would try and keep the siblings together, even if they're not twins. They would try to keep the siblings together. Where that might be different is if, for example, somebody had some kids that uh, had to be adopted out either because they were taken through the foster system or they gave them up because they couldn't handle them, couldn't care for them themselves. And then they had other sibling or other kids later, then those might go to other parents. And so you'd have the siblings sp- split up that way, but for siblings that come into care or are put up for adoption at the same time, generally these days they try not to do that. Um, let's see. What was the second part of your question?
0: The second part was that wouldn't they tell the adoptive parents that there's mm, a, a sibling? Not out necessarily.
1: There? Not necessarily. And and I want to get back to that first thing here in, in a bit because it, it, Kind of becomes relevant, but I want to answer the second part, and then I'll go back to the first part. Uh, they would not necessarily tell the parents. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy privacy laws. Um, <laughs> for example, my wife and I have common checking accounts, common bills and, and all these other things. And yet, for some like utility companies, if I don't put my wife's name specifically on the account, They won't give her any information, even though we're spouses. It's we're in a community property state, which by definition means that not only is our property community, but so are our obligations. Right. You know, you'd think that oh, if if it's community property and community obligations, they would be they would have a right to to that information. Nope, they don't. When it comes to adoption, it's the same kind of thing, only worse. For example, three of our kids are adopted. One of them. But two of them two of them we have personal reason to believe that the mother used drugs and alcohol during the pregnancy so we we think that they're drug and alcohol affected the third one we know for sure right now when we were in the hospital because the the older two we got as they were older they were older kids when we got them the third one was we got at birth and we were in the hospital when when he was born And we were there with him and doing all the usual things that new parents do and waiting for the hospital to release him to us so we could take him home. We made a comment about, wow, you can't, you know, he's in perfect, perfect shape, perfect health. No evidence of the fact that he is a cocaine baby. Right. And the nurse said, oh, so you know. I said, yeah. They said, good. Because if you didn't know, we couldn't tell you. Huh. Excuse me?
0: Wow that's this is important information, information. You need yeah
1: <laughs> this is important information because this affects that child's whole life it affects the well, childs sure. medical treatment in the future and yeah. you can't tell me yeah you know, because it would violate the mother's privacy well excuse me but what about the child's health you know? wow that's but, crazy. Um, yeah it, it is crazy so I can see where they wouldn't have necessarily told them about a separated twin but this brings up an interesting thing because i did some research on twins because you know how we always hear about twins they have this kind of psychic connection and all this
2: yeah.
1: Ooh. i did some research on twins and it wasn't specifically to that but it was about twins being separated at birth and i found out that uh, there were a couple of interesting things and they they tie to this this point of the episode, and they also tie kind of into the uh, Tracy Roxy thing. Right. Back in the 40s, there were a couple of guys, a couple of guys. And um, they decided to run some experiments. And part of it had to do with the fact that one of the guys who was running the experiment had, was of the opinion His personal opinion that twins are better separated at birth because, you know, too many people, they take twins, they dress them up alike, they they talk to them alike, and they can't develop their own personality, so they need to be separated at birth. Well, this guy happened to be running a scientific study, and so he was able to pull this off with hundreds of twins who were being given up to adoption. And Probably the most interesting case that came out of that was the Jim twins. And it, it really highlights some of the things about uh twins that people often call psychic, you know. Uh there's two twin boys, Jim Lewis and Jim Springer. Those were the names given to them by their adoptive parents.
0: Okay, that's creepy.
1: It gets better.
0: Like right. that is creepy. <laughs> it gets better.
1: It gets better. (laughs) The two men married and their first wives had the same first names, Linda. Oh,
0: wow. Then they got divorced
1: and they got remarried. (laughs) And both of them had the second wives named Betty.
0: No way.
1: That's insane. Both had similar interests and hobbies. They did a similar job. One was a security officer. One was a deputy sheriff. They both suffered from tension headaches, were prone to nail biting, both smoked, both chain smoked the same brand of cigarette. Both suffered from migraines, both drove Chevrolets, both even vacationed at the same beaches in Florida. They both had a dog as a kid named Toy.
0: (laughs) Okay, no, no, this is Halloween and this is creeping me out, man.
1: (laughs) As students, they both enjoyed mathematics and woodworking, but both had a strong dislike for spelling.
0: Holy cow. Oh, yeah. That's That is nuts. The,
1: the, after they, <laughs> in the late 1970s, and this would have been before this episode, and I, I have to think that this story may have had some element of influence into the script. After they had learned about each other and they met, they were asked to take complete tests on personality, medical history, and brainwaves. And their scores were remarkably similar on all three. When asked to draw a picture independently, they both drew the same thing.
0: Holy cow. That's creepy.
1: Yeah. And, (laughs) you know.
0: So Tracy wasn't too far off when she she said that she'd always felt that there was another part of her out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And even though this this study that was being done raised a lot of ethical questions interestingly yeah. enough the <laughs> results of the study have been sealed until 2066 the, the they never published the results right and they had the, res, the results sealed uh, at the uh, yale university until 2066 apparently because they don't want anybody to get all the details of what they did but because of this study and other studies that have been done not you know separating twins but studying twins, there is a strong evidence that there are certain things that had traditionally been considered environmental factors as far as people's behaviors and such as that, that apparently are somewhat genetic.
0: That makes sense when you consider that whenever I have seen twins, and this is not every single time, but like most of the time, they are Even as adults, they have the same body type and haircut and just stuff like that, right? Like you very rarely Uh see one twin that is bigger and one twin that is skinnier. That doesn't usually happen.
1: But traditionally, that was thought to be the environment and the influence because after all, if they're being raised together, then they have the same, many of the same environmental situations, very uh, many of the same environmental factors influencing them. So that's not that unexpected if it's it's the environment that's influencing all this, which is, I think, one of the reasons why this doctor said, you know, "Ah, well, we need to separate twins at birth because it's better for them. But as it turns out, there may be some genetic factors because, you know, there's been studies that suggest that things like uh, susceptibility to drug and alcohol addiction can be genetic. Not solid evidence, but there's yeah, there's enough evidence that it that it seems to suggest that. So yeah, it, it seems like that there are some definite genetic factors involving twins or involving children that they get from their parents, and we see that in Roxy and and Tracy because even though Tracy is very very flaky and very yeah. selfish. A lot of like their, their sense of humor is the same. You know, there's some, so many similarities, differences, but similarities between the two. And See, I, I gotta and say I, the actress did a great job.
0: Oh, she's amazing. Like that was one of my comments that I had on this is that she effortlessly switches from mm-hmm. Roxy and Tracy and they are very different people, but they are also, like you said, and I don't even think Tracy, I wouldn't necessarily, I hesitate to call her selfish because yes, she's, she's, uh, kind of, she's flaky. I will, I will say that's a, a very uh, accurate descriptor. But she doesn't. You can tell she doesn't truly think her father is dying when she shows up, and she even well, says that. I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little, but she even says that to Steele that it's a little game they play, right? So,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I i th- yeah. So, like he, we'll get there. But Steele opens the safe, and a bunch of files fall out. He goes to help them pick. Them up, no, no, but, no, no, no! Not for you, not for you. Yeah, he's like, no, no, these don't concern you. And he hands him a folder and tells him that twenty years ago he hired a detective to find Tracy's twin, and that all the information is in there. Uh, he says he chose not to do anything then because he was uncomfortable with the situation and didn't want to share Tracy. He asks Steele to find her and not to talk to her, but to let him know when he does. So we've we've got that, and the door then opens and Tracy rushes in saying she was in Rome when she got the news. She asks how long he has and Crockett says the doctor won't even guess. Tracy asks if leaving after a day and a half would be too soon or too late. And he asks her to stick around and she responds with, what about Rodolfo? (laughs) Crockett (laughs) says, forget him. (laughs) She then notices Mr. Steele. Standing up, she walks over and gets her, him to light her cigarette. Asking him if he happens to be Italian, <laughs> he says, "Afraid not." And she looks slightly disappointed, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> her chauffeur pops in his head in the door, asking if she'll be needing him for the rest of the day. She says, "No." Steele says that he's sure that she'd like some time with her father. And she responds with whatever gave you that idea. And then asks her father <laughs> if he will be able to hang on for a few more hours while she goes shopping. Like this part ve- very much feels like she's cold and uncaring and selfish. because
1: Well, nobody- also the fact that she keeps donating her stuff and, and her father has to keep yeah. buying it back. I mean, y- y- you know, that's... That
0: part seems just like wealthy socialite making stupid choices because she's been spoiled all her life. But like this part does come across as very cold and very selfish until Mm -hmm. we realize that she genuinely does not think that he's dying. She thinks this is just like all the other times when he's called her back and maybe fabricated Mm -hmm. an emergency and things sound worse than they were.
1: I I'm familiar with it. Yes. Yeah. So I I won't say who, but I'm familiar (laughs) with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he says, I suppose I'll still be breathing when you return. And then she kisses him and leaves. Um, But uh, I wonder, like Steele does not seem to care for Crockett or Tracy in this initial meeting. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I this mean there's has, not a lot
1: there to care for,
0: no, but I wonder if this is a little bit more personal to him in the sense that I can only imagine that if I had grown up with nothing, not knowing who my parents were, I'd be pretty irritated watching a selfish socialite behave so cavalierly towards a dying parent, like that probably hits home a little bit for him, I would think
1: yeah i can I can see that. Um, on the other hand, you know, it could just be that he's uh, he's probably seen this sort of thing.
0: No, oh, yeah, we've, we've of had a lot of wealthy wealthy clients yeah. that have been told and, in terms. and
1: it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean just because he grew up without it that that he is going to be annoyed that somebody who has it doesn't care for it. Uh, you know, at, at some point, sometimes you can get to a get to the place where it just it just doesn't bother you anymore, you just don't think about it. It's just uh okay, that's just the way it is, and you go on fair enough, I, I don't know, but but no i can I can see your point how he probably would at least be a aware of the fact that she is taking what she's got for granted
0: exactly put it that way, yeah, so he walks her out, and this is where he comments on how she's treated her father. And she replies by saying it's a game they play, that her father has been dying for 15 years, but always manages to have a seizure or some other medical element when he wants her to come home and to keep her from disgracing him any further. So she clearly does not think that anything is different about this particular time. And that she then runs straight into Laura. Tracy sizes her up, says they haven't met. And this is my favorite. Steele introduces himself and Laura as Frida Milch and Darren MacGuffin. Do you know what a MacGuffin is?
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so for those of, of of the listeners who might not, a, a MacGuffin is an object or device in a movie or a book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. So,
1: <laughs> and usually, curious- it's a th- sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, and curiously enough. Although the term is most generally associated with Alfred Hitchcock, he did not come up with the term. No, he didn't. Angus MacPhail came up with the term. But, and yeah, yeah, so
0: it's just kind of funny that he picks that name. Uh, <laughs>
1: I'm sure it was intentional, but Oh, anyway. yes, absolutely.
0: Uh, Freedom Milch, <laughs>
1: though. I mean, that's... Uh, mm. That's,
0: again, another Myrtle Grogans. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, he says they will see her again, and she says, if you were Italian, you could count on it.
1: <laughs> he wow, says right if, there in front of lawyer, Laura? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know, right? <laughs> how he tacky says, can you be? <laughs>
0: if it's any consolation, he loves Linguini. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she, we get a scene change and we're back in the office and Laura is ranting. She says it was one thing when he didn't exist and she was putting one over on the sexist of the world, but now she doesn't even exist like in, at all. Steele points out that he was content not to take the case, right? So he's trying mm-hmm. to be, I guess this is just one of those moments where, she lashes out at him when her anger isn't really directed at him, but it's not very fair <laughs> because he did try to
1: mm-hmm. walk away. And then uh, what does she accuse him of doing? Yeah. Trying to protect her because she's just a woman. You know, it's it's like she's arguing both sides of an issue and trying to say He's heads I win, yeah. tails you lose. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't like dealing with sexist pigs. How dare you try to get out of taking a case with a sexist pig? It's,
0: yeah, and then this which, is, which again, is it. Make up your mind. Which side are you on? This is again why I asked Then why didn't she walk out? Because then it wouldn't be about him protecting her honor. It would be about her standing up for herself and saying, "Listen, then I don't need your business. Goodbye." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of bugs me. Uh, she says that she's fully capable of taking care of herself, which we know. And Mildred walks in, and she kind of bites her head off too. Uh, so, e not a good look at this point in time. Mildred, in her excitement, refuses to hand the folder that she's holding to Laura. So that part is, I mean, that's par for the course at this point. Uh-huh. So, right. Uh, instead, taking it to Mr. Steele, telling him that she's located the missing twin. Laura, to her credit, apologizes to Mildred, and Mil- this is uh, this is a part another part where I feel that I don't know if I f- I don't know if it's out of character, but I don't like it and i don't like it because it plays into every stereotype and i get why they're doing it but it again it's another one of those it feels too blunt it feels too much like they're trying to hammer it over the uh, us over the head with look at all the sexism it's everywhere from everyone there's nobody in this mm-hmm. episode who does not behave in a sexist way so mildred says she she makes a comment about us women can get a little emotional sometimes and she, or temperamental, that's it. A stereotype that Laura and I personally are not pleased with. Steele thanks Mildred and kisses her hand, which or, only angers Laura even more. Mildred then turns and tells Laura to soak in a hot tub with some tea in a romance novel. It's like, sh- they, it's like they're just checking every cliche off the list. And she, you mm-hmm. know, that's how I get through those emotional days. And she does this all while fawning over Mr. Steele.
1: Yeah. So my my comment on it was that um, in in this this portion of that scene, it's almost like they're treating Laura like a cute little puppy. Yeah. Oh, isn't it so cute? Oh, she's having a bad oh, day. Oh,
0: you're puppy. having a tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah. so you yeah, know, this is one of those situations where Mildred and Steele just yeah again caricatures or they're and- they're. Tr- they're treating the writers are treating Laura like a caricature, yeah, and they're using Mildred and Steele to reinforce that caricature, yeah.
0: and And here's the thing. I have no doubt that Mildred this does it does feel in character that Mildred is the type of person who would soak in a nice bath with a romance novel when she's having a bad day, because let's face it, we all know how much she liked The Dark Prince. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And let's face it, we also know that Laura owns every single Charlotte Knight novel. I'm not convinced Steele doesn't, but we, we definitely know Laura does. So there's nothing that, there's no rule that says that a woman can't love a romance novel or that you can't have a bad day but just putting all those clichés together that women are temperamental they only like romance novels they they have those emotional days which is code for they have periods gasp you know it just it all feels like it's again ticking those boxes because like you said they they need the caricature they need this they need the sexism with a capital sexism it just we know that it exists. We don't need to be whopped over the head with it, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't love this yeah. scene. <laughs> we <laughs> would get all of that simply with Mildred worshiping the ground steel walks on, frankly. That's all they had to do because that's what she's been doing this whole time and that reinforces the theme of the show. We didn't need the
1: And episode. they could have handled the, they could have handled the uh, Markham attitude you know, women shouldn't be doing men's work yeah. type thing. And Laura's being kind of shuffled off and kind of painted out of the the case. They kind of handled that and her reaction much differently and oh, still gotten sure. the message across. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that a guy as old as Markham would hold those ideas to be truthful. Right. He's, uh-huh. he's what, he looks like he's 90 if he's a day. Which in nineteen eighty three would have put him at like
1: Yeah, early nineteen <laughs> hundreds of the century, his, right? Yeah. So
0: yeah, there'd be it that would make sense. I would totally buy that he would have those ideas. It just the rest of it, the way they've handled it around it is yeah. is the problem. So Steele gets on the phone to call Mr. Crockett, who he he is then informed that he is dead. So whatever illness he had, he didn't have long. <laughs> so we get a scene change, they pull up to the Crockett Estate. The sweater that Laura's wearing in this scene is the same sweater that she wears in the episode where they go to Ireland, which I like. I like the sweater. So I just thought I'd point that out. Um, <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Of the sweater uh, just, that Laura wears. Did you wear that same sweater?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just it went sweater. So you made that comment about you and sweaters it reminded me just of a couple things one being that yeah i love my wife in sweaters too Sweater uh, she doesn't shirts. wear them as much as she used to be, too. <laughs> but yeah I, I they look great on her and then it also reminded me of the the very last episode of new heart the second series where he wakes up in bed with his wife from the first series and tells him about this crazy dream that he had living in Vermont with these as an innkeeper and these three crazy woodsmen on of only who talked. And one guy, you know, always talks in all in alliteration and a handyman who couldn't fix anything. <laughs> and, and then at the end of it, they have this conversation and she turns over and goes to to go to sleep and he looks at her and says, you know, you should wear more sweaters because the wife in the second series <laughs> always wore sweaters. So I like that. Yeah. I, I like Bob Newhart. He's, he's, he's very funny. <laughs> he's very reminiscent of Jack Benny and I'm a huge Jack Benny fan. So yeah, it but just actually, reminded me of that.
0: Now that you said that, that actually reminds me of a show called misfits, which was a British show. And it was a very like adult show it was not for kids. Um, and the plot was these six juvenile delinquents. they, they're doing like community service because they've all broken the law in some way and they get hit by lightning and get weird powers like very weird powers not not your traditional superpowers like very strange powers and this one character in the season finale of the first season Somebody has—it's like an invasion of the body snatchers. They all become like clones that decide to start like dressing really proper and everything. And he's trying to like convince them that they've all lost their mind. And he's like, "You're wearing—look at you—you're wearing cardigans." (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Anyway, anytime I see a cardigan now, I think of that. But so anyway, there's a bunch of cars outside, so we get the impression that this is not the funeral. Well, we—it could be the funeral, but. uh, Turns out it's the, the will reading. The wake. The wake, whatever, yeah. Uh, Laura isn't sure that, sh- that they, they should be there, saying that Crockett was their client. He wasn't sure he was going to tell Tracy. Steele argues that she would want to know, and she says he's just sensitive about anyone having a secret past. Steele th- says, and I, I think that's kind of a... I'm, I'm not sure that that was a fair statement on her part, because, well, I guess she doesn't know, but still, is. Yeah. Steele says it's one thing to conceal your past and another to have it concealed for you, which I think is Mm -hmm. a really good point, right? It's, it's his, it's his decision, what he shares with other people. But if something's been kept from him, then he would want to know. Therefore he thinks Tracy would too. And turns out he's right. So, but are they crossing any ethical lines by telling Tracy now that Crockett's dead?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. You know, it's kind of a similar question to one thing I've wondered about, you know, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and all these other places. Right. When a person dies, what happens when a person dies? They have an estate. Their estate is transferred to somebody who is either inheriting it or somebody who's given the authority and the responsibility. Not just the authority, but the responsibility to administer it. And that includes all their their personal information, their finances, and and all this other stuff. But somehow social media is exempted from that. Oh, no, you you can't get into this Facebook because that's that person's account and privacy. No, I am their estate administrator. I have the responsibility to take care of their personal property, and, and this is part of their personal property. No, you can't have it. No, no, uh uh-uh, no. not going to give it to you. So I've always had an issue with that because yeah. it seems like the the idea, well, it's a person's privacy. Uh, they're dead, and yeah. somebody has been given <laughs> the responsibility to deal with this information and, and all of their assets, and that's an asset. And I would think that in the same vein, this would be the case. I mean, he, they had been hired to find the twin. That information was part of basically his estate.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And would they be actually in a, a more unethical position to withhold that information? I don't know. I, I don't know what the laws are on that. I, that's a an ethical question that. You know, they're going to say, "Well, that's a legal question; it's not an ethical question." And I I think it's an ethical question. Well, this is why people might say that the ethics are dictated by the law. You know, it's illegal to to (laughs) to give that information because it's you know it's prohibited by law. So, therefore, giving it to them is unethical. It's it's like no, the the law is irrelevant in this. What is the ethics of withholding that information?
0: Yeah, and that's more what I was wondering—that whether or not, like, internally, ethics-wise, they're crossing any lines here. Because he wasn't sure if he was going to tell Tracy about her twin, uh-huh. but Steele clearly feels that she has a right to know. And I, I think
1: once she knows, she, she can make a decision what to do yeah, with it, including exactly. do nothing.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that it, it would be something that, if it were me, I would want to know. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, I, I think most people would would want to know, but maybe someone, and that's, again, a choice mm-hmm. that they would get to make when they have mm-hmm. that information in front of them. Yeah. And it's interesting what you said about, oh, you said it a minute ago, and my brain has just lost it. <laughs> I'll come back to it <laughs> hey, if I can. Welcome you know, to my think.
1: world. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, because I had had it in my mind, and I was going to comment on it. No, I don't remember what it was I was going to comment on. So there's there's that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. We'll keep going. <laughs> um, Inside the lawyer, who has to be aside from the butler, one of my favorite characters in this episode. Uh, yeah, he just he's can't control himself. He has the <laughs> my, like he is the most unprofessional lawyer on the planet, and I love it. He addresses all those who are there. Uh, and saying, you know, he about describing Ross Crockett saying he was a dear husband and he's nodding at each person in turn as he says this. So he looks at Claudette and nods and he says, Dear husband, loving father yeah. looks at Junior and and Tracy, trusted partner looking at uh, Norman Baines and loyal employer. And the butler looks up and says, Nice, you didn't notice me, sir. You know? <laughs> and then the lawyer then goes back to his notes and says, that in a state of this size requires precise precision, and most of the will is legal, legal boilerplate, but he will give them the gist of it before peeling off into laughter. He then says, yes. Tracy gets everything <laughs> before laughing again. Like, wow. <laughs> he basically sits there and goes, ha, 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 no one gets anything. I mean,
1: Gotta wow. love it. God <laughs> um, love it. And also, how like, many lawyers? How many lawyers <laughs> have ever wanted to do something like I that, know, but right? didn't like, feel like they could?
0: <laughs> I got to say that this, like, he obviously wasn't worried about his job here because he, they uh, they don't fire him. So I, you know, he's, well, I guess it's because he's... Tracy's the him, only one that <laughs> could fire him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I got to say, like, they all look pretty shocked, but would anybody really be that surprised that he'd leave his estate to his daughter? I mean, yes, she's adopted, but she's still his daughter.
1: Like, well, not that she she would inherit substantially, but that he would cut everybody, everybody else out completely that is out. Not <laughs> not even not even here. Here's a, a you know five dollars and seventy five cents to go down to Starbucks and buy yourself a coffee. No, not even that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't appear to have any. Not that it matters, but he doesn't appear to have any blood family because he's got his his son junior is i'm I'm given to believe that it's his stepson right
1: I believe so yes
0: yeah so the closest familial relative he would have would be tracy mm-hmm. that just to me makes sense but <laughs> the the stepson asked for clarification, and the lawyer, who's clearly like in his moment, this is his moment. He's waited for this. Says yeah. it's simple, Junior. You
1: lose. You all lose. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> well, you, you know, you almost have to think that he's <laughs> dealt with those people for years. So
0: long, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he probably knows their personalities. He probably knows what kind of people they are. And they're probably (laughs) even worse than Tracy, you know? Well,
0: and Tracy, to her credit, looks rather shocked. She mm -hmm. was not anticipating this at all. Like she probably thought she'd get some money in a trust fund and that would be it.
1: Uh, And and an allowance.
0: Yeah. She's now heir to the entire company. (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) Um, we get a switch. Steele and Laura watch all the family members stomp off to their car. They go into the empty house. They find Tracy. She's upset. She did not expect this. They offer her their condolences and she says the game is over. Which is sad. Like this moment where she says that
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then she says if I hadn't been so selfish I might have realized it. Like this is where I, I personally think that she wasn't a selfish person she's flaky, but she wasn't selfish because again she wasn't like she looked shocked she wasn't expecting this to be real. she just thought her dad was doing the same thing he always does, and she was going along with it, and nothing was different, so right, like you really feel for her, and I think that we have to feel for her because otherwise we i mean obviously they're still going to try to find her kidnapper, whether she's awful or not, but we want to see the sisters reunited and we want to see them happy. Like that's kind of the, the driving force of this episode. We want to see some
1: growth out of Tracy.
0: Yeah, exactly. So here's where we start to see it. I think, right. She says, the game is over. If I hadn't been so selfish, I would have realized it. Laura tells them that her father was concerned about her emotional well-being and she laughs and says, well, he took care of that. He did what he, what he couldn't control in life. He can now control from the grave. And lets him know that he left her all his company stock, provided that she become chairman of the board at the next stockholders meeting. Otherwise, his entire estate will go to charity and Uncle Norman will take over Crockett Industries. So, Laura asks for clarification on Uncle Norman. Steele speculates it was the grim-faced gentleman with the Rolls Royce. Uh, (laughs) Tracy vows that she won't let her father down, saying that she will not blow the one chance that she has at making something of her life, before then saying, damn him.
1: So much for my trip to Rome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Poor Rodolfo. He's going to have to.
1: That's right.
0: Uh,
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's when Steele steps in telling her that they haven't been candid. Their real names are Remington Steele and Laura Holt, that they're private investigators hired by her father. She asks what for, and Steele tells her it was to locate her sister. Obviously, she then says, well, I don't have a sister. And Laura says, according to these, you do, and shows her the files. She's shocked. She says to them that she's always felt that she wasn't entirely whole, there was some part of her missing. She asks them if that makes any sense, and that if they can find her, and then kind of demands that they bring her to her, regardless of the cost. So it's kind of funny that she kind of switches from this vulnerable, mourning young woman to that wealthy socialite who gets everything handed to her in a split second by saying like bring her to me and then she kind of softens a little bit after saying that uh-huh. when she kind of like laughs and she says a sister like i think she comes across as quite likable personally and 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 again this is a, in large part to the actress because this material could have easily come across as very unlikable in in right certain hands so yeah we then go to the diner <laughs> and we see Roxy, <laughs> Tracy's sister. I love Roxy. Oh, my God. I love Roxy. Um, yeah. She is blunt where Tracy is refined. She's plain spoken. She doesn't take any crap from the patrons when they try to grow If it her. ain't and on they, the menu, it's you.
1: not for sale.
0: <laughs> and she's just like, oh, my God. I love her. <laughs> and she just, she's. So talented, this actress. She's different persona, different accent. Comes across as a completely different person. Yeah. Laura and Steele introduce themselves. They tell her they want to talk about her sister. She says she doesn't have a sister. They show her the photo. She still doesn't think it's real, so they produce her birth certificates. How would they get their hands on Roxy's birth certificate? Like, was it in um, the file that Crockett had?
1: Must have been. Although...
0: You would think he wouldn't have been allowed access to a birth certificate. That's pretty.
1: You know, that's, that's, um, that's another issue. Um, for a long time on adoptions, the original birth certificates simply weren't available. What, what happened was they, they would reissue a new birth certificate with the adoptive parents listed. Yeah. And the originals were just, no, you can't get them. God himself could come down and we're not going to give them to them. But those laws have changed a bit. I don't know exactly the way that they've changed or the extent to which they've changed or the provisions under which they've changed. But I do know that people have gotten their original birth certificates in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. past. So I don't know, you know, and of course a hundred dollars dropped in the right place. So you get yeah, all kinds of fair. things.
0: Mildred going in and doing you her know. bureaucratic routine. Maybe she uh, scared somebody into coughing it up.
1: <laughs> Could be. You
0: know. Mildred Krabs, IRS.
1: Coughing. I'm here <laughs> yeah. to pick up that file.
0: <laughs> that birth certificate due in court. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, she then thinks that it's Candid Camera. Yeah. And uh, offer Laura. It's funny because we have this program here in Canada called Just for Laughs. And Mm -hmm. it's it's something that they do in Montreal. There's a festival, but there's also like these little videos they do where they will trick people or scare people or, you know, and obviously it's, it's just meant to be funny. It's not meant to be like traumatizing or whatever, but we, we were in Montreal two summers ago and we actually walked by them doing this prank. And the prank was that they had this little table set up next to what looked to be like a little cafe, And people were offering, like calling people over to come and sit down at this little table where they would get some free samples of food. And so we 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 managed to walk by, and they they asked somebody else to come and sit down. And I kind of glanced back, and as I did, the person sat down, and somebody was under the table, and they popped up through the middle of the table and scared the bejesus out of them. (laughs) (laughs) And so then we stood back and waited for them to do it again. And obviously the cameras were hidden around there, and it was meant to be like a thing. And so it was fun that we got to see a just for laughs prank because I'd see them on TV all the time. So yeah, she obviously thinks that this is candid camera, that they're playing a joke on her, that the cameras are hidden somewhere and they're going <laughs> to
1: jump yeah. out. Well, you know, we've, we've had some similar shows here recently to what you were talking about. You know, yeah. America's funniest videos and practical jokes. I and used such. to love that show. But <laughs> yeah. Talking about candid camera, it's, it's a show that not, maybe not everybody's familiar with. It was the original hidden camera T V series. It started yeah. in nineteen forty eight and ran until oh, wow. two thousand fourteen in various incarnations. Wow. And I didn't know it was that there was old. a British Yeah, forty eight to fourteen. Huh. So but there was also a British version that began in nineteen sixty and ran for seven years. And was presented by David Nixon and Bob Monkhouse. So, I'm supposed to, I am supposed—I guess I'm supposed to know those names.
0: <laughs> I know David Nixon.
1: <laughs> then it returned yeah. in 1974 through 1976, hosted by Peter Duley and had Arthur Atkins and Sheila Burnett as huh. co-conspirators, I guess. So anyway, yeah. Just a little bit um, of information on That Canada is Canada.
0: interesting. I would also like to point out, I don't know why I'm pointing out the fashion so much of this episode, but... <laughs> Uh, Mr. Steele is wearing a traditional Canadian sort of attire, dubbed the Canadian tuxedo, which is denim on top of denim. So, <laughs> <laughs> gotta love Mr. Steele's Canadian tuxedo in this scene. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, so I, yeah. it works for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I personally like to see any episode where they are out of their normal business clothes out of and uniform. in casual. Yeah, kind of because like. Yeah. Mr. Steele is always impeccably dressed in a suit. And I know there's all these comments that people make about women liking a guy in a suit. But I find, personally, I find suits to be kind of boring. They all look the same. I'm I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong because there's different types of fashion and different types of suits. But there's only so many jackets and ties and and dress shirts that you can see a man in before it, it becomes. And a suit is supposed to be something worn for a special occasion. So if you're wearing it every day it's no longer a special occasion and therefore it's no longer very visually interesting in my opinion. So even though steel wears a suit, like nobody else, I enjoy seeing (laughs) him and Laura, frankly, in Mm -hmm. clothing that are, you know, jeans and a sweater t-shirt, whatever. Like I, um,
1: my problem with Laura, when they dress Laura up is that they also tend to do, do up her face.
0: Yeah, and, when they do it up too yeah. much, it's it's a lot. Yeah,
1: I, no, I like her. I like yeah. it when she looks natural. Anyway, I
0: agree, I agree. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, Roxy, the, Laura offers to take them to meet Tracy and says that she wants uh-huh. to meet her. And Roxy looks around at the she looks at the photo one more time and then says, "Are you sure this ain't Canon camera?" So she's, <laughs> uh, it's I love it. They arrive back at the Crockett Estate. I or sorry, not the crocodile State, Tracy's apartment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm pretty sure this set is the same set that they used for Derek Vivian's bar apartment because that like bar in the background looks exactly the same. So I, I have a feeling they just redressed it, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, or they um, just use a lot of the same components and rearranged them. Yeah, yeah, it could
0: be. Yeah. They So they arrive back at Tracy's apartment, but instead of finding Tracy, they find a note supposedly from her saying that she went to Rome to see Rodolfo. They check the bedroom, and Roxy is now suspicious, thinking that they've lured her there for, you know, human trafficking. <laughs> she picks up a weapon. <laughs> and frankly, I don't blame her. It it It, de- it definitely does seem very... You've got a twin sister. Here she is. Oh, look, she's not here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to die. My organs are going to be harvested. That's what this is. So (laughs) she picks up a weapon. Laura locates Tracy's passport, which tells them that Tracy did not leave of her own free will. This is not Uh very bright, in my opinion, leaving the passport out where somebody could find it.
1: Yeah. If you're going
0: to. If you are going to like concoct a theory that she's gone off to see, and here's the thing, gone off to see Rodolfo by, that seems in character with what we know of Tracy thus far. So mm-hmm. they could have easily gotten away with that for quite some time before somebody realized that she was actually missing. If they had, you know, hidden the passport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she right. may be a flake, Destroyed but she doesn't it. appear stupid.
2: <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, destroy it get rid of don't leave it out on the like it was so easy for laura to find come on guys. yeah uh, yeah dumb criminals for sure uh, so after calling all the airlines to see if there was a reservation for tracy on it they conclude that tracy was kidnapped and laura comments that they have a laundry list of suspects people who would not want to see tracy take over her father's company <laughs> roxy meanwhile is looking around and grabbing stuff and putting it in her pockets
1: is she a kleptomaniac <laughs> or just an opportunist?
0: A little bit of a column A, a little bit of column B, I think, because uh, she comments <laughs> on how loaded Tracy seems to be.
2: <laughs>
0: so there's that. Steele tells Laura about Crockett's safe and says that might be their starting point. This is an interesting thing too in the original script, because here in this episode, Steele is the one that suggests Pygmalion or My Fair Lady. And for those who for those who enjoy the musical. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially, we know that he's suggesting that they dress Roxy up as Tracy and get mm-hmm. her to impersonate Tracy. And Laura is immediately against this idea. She says, this is not the movies, and it's a chauvinist point of view to think that women are pieces of clay waiting to be molded. Again. <sighs> <laughs> Thoughts? Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> you know... If- First of all, she starts out by, "Are you suggesting that we transform this?" This and it's right? like Ouch. very, very really? condescending and demeaning. You know, as I mean, to
0: be fair, Steele makes an equally similar comment later on. But
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> but we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, come on, the fact that she doesn't like person. the idea. She's sitting there. Doesn't (laughs) mean, yeah, yeah, the fact that she doesn't like Steele's idea doesn't mean that she needs to demean Roxy in, in the process. And the thing is, she doesn't even get off her high horse even after Roxy says, well, look, if it's my, you know, if she's my sister and she's in trouble, let's do it. Laura gives her a disgusted look, you know, and it's like, okay, so. Yeah. You're you're upset that a a man is treating a woman like a piece of a piece of clay to be molded, and she should have her own opinion and speak her own mind. And okay, never mind the fact that you just got done demeaning a woman, but now that she expresses her opinion and speaks her mind, you're mad at her because she expressed her opinion and spoke her mind, but it wasn't what you wanted her to say. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, and. Okay, so she doesn't like the plan. Okay, I can understand that, but at least Steele had a plan. It's a terrible plan, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they they really screw it up.
0: Well, uh, well yeah, and, yeah, But maybe. at least he had a plan.
1: She had nothing but criticisms and righteous indignation. I mean, she she offered nothing. In and re- in, in the response. original
0: script, it's her that suggests doing it, and Steele that's against it. Which, okay to be fair, it makes more sense that Steele would suggest it because it is a movie reference. And that's the things that that's the thing he does. Right. And right. it does make sense that in character, Laura would try to dissuade him from it because that's what she does. And yes. usually it's because, but she usually does so with more, more of a reason to go on as opposed to like, yes. this just seems to be, and then he rightfully points out that she molded him and look Mm -hmm. how well he turned out, right? There is an element of hypocrisy here because she says, well, women aren't just pieces of clay waiting to be molded, but still, literally, she's been doing that with him for the last two years. So, yeah, yeah. and I feel like this is just all going back to the butler and this whole, again, this big stick that the writer is hitting us over the head with about how everybody is sexist, and it doesn't help anybody's character here because it just like like you said it makes her come off just over the top where where it would have made sense and in character for her to say this is crazy it's never going to work we need to try something else rather than mm-hmm. insulting Roxy and going off on a tangent
1: biting his head off yeah
0: yeah, because I don't think what he was suggesting had any was sexist in any way. He was going on a movie reference,
1: so yeah. and, and, and and it
0: makes sense. You've got two twins, like
1: <laughs> yeah, in the context of the case, it kind of makes sense because
0: yeah, it the whole
1: idea is to pr- to put this person out there, parade them around as Tracy. They mishandle it, but I mean that's the idea to try and provoke somebody well, into double checking yeah. on you know it, it. Up to that point, it's a good plan. Like I said, they kind of blow it, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Okay, they really Um, blow it. (laughs) She says, it's impossible, absurd, and dangerous. Steele argues it's dramatic, daring, and unexpected. And this is... Laura points out that a woman's life may hang in the balance. Steele yells, all the more reason to take the bull between the horns. This is where Roxy whistles to get their attention and asks if she has any say in this, which... I love Roxy. No, no. Like, I just, I really love Roxy because this is where she's like, uh, hello, like I'm standing right here. So yeah. am I going to get a chance to weigh in on the, this thing that could potentially put my life in danger? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they really. both agree that she does. And she says, if there's a chance she can help her sister by pretending to be her, she thinks it's worth it. Steele leaps into action saying they will unveil her at the stockholders meeting the following day, speculating that the killer will either rush to wherever Tracy is hidden or break down and confess on the spot. Now, I think he's a bit wrong about the breakdown and confess on the spot because oh, that absolutely. never happens. But like he's not wrong that they, if, they, if they've kidnapped her and suddenly she's standing right there, they yeah. are going to probably rush back to see if she's escaped. Right. So that part does make sense. Yeah. And then Steele says, George Bernard Shaw would have been proud of them. And Roxy says, he worked in the case too.
1: <laughs> yeah, while well, jumping on gum.
0: Oh, yeah, the gum. They always use gum when they're trying to like accentuate yeah. somebody's lower, that someone's of a lower yeah. class in some way, shape, yeah.
2: or form. So.
0: <laughs> Scene change. We're in Laura's loft. Steel is pacing while Laura reads. He asks what's taking so long, and Laura comments that Mildred's trying to scrape out 20 years of hairspray. Which doesn't make any sense because when she comes out as Tracy, I'm sorry, but Tracy's hairstyle also was basically just all hairspray. There's a reason Mm. why there was a hole in the ozone layer in the 80s. It was because of all the hairspray. I'm pretty convinced. (laughs) You know? Like there's no way that Tracy's hair was naturally that curly in all the right places. So you would have needed hairspray for that too. either way um, Mildred comes out and announces Roxy as Tracy she looks like her but it's immediately clear that she has a long way to go yeah. as she stumbles down Laura's loft steps in her heels yeah. Steele then points out that hair and makeup are external but breeding this is where I he makes an equally kind of insensitive comment to Roxy who's sitting right there he says breeding is what makes the difference between dress and gold and then he turns to her and says, no offense intended, and I love her response. She says, you can offend me all you want. I don't understand half of what you say anyway. (laughs) So at least when Steele insults her, she doesn't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He clarifies that he means the way she walks, talks, drinks a cup of tea, and this is what they have to instill in her. The training montage is short. This part is what bugs me for Steele, because we've been sort of, pointing out the uh, areas where they kind of have Laura reacting out of character. Mm-hmm. This is, I think a very, I don't know. I don't like it. He, at the end, he asks Laura to demonstrate how a proper lady walks. Laura obviously doesn't like being used as an example of how all proper ladies do anything. And then he slaps her butt. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong? Is he trying to die? Like, does he want her to murder him? Because I, I don't know. It, He makes a point of gleefully tormenting her in most episodes, but this seems a little extra crass, especially considering all of the stuff that has been bothering her this entire case.
1: Yeah, and then he tops it off by saying, do it exactly like Miss Holt did, only better. Only
0: better. And she the very next episode that we're going to do, Steel Threads, she's walking a runway, and she Mm -hmm. also has a dance background and a gymnastics background. Laura knows how to walk gracefully. This is not something that she's, she's not awkward or uncoordinated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it makes zero sense that she wouldn't know how to walk, quote unquote, like a proper lady. It it just feels like he's trying to insult her. And and it feels kind of mean. It doesn't feel funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. So, yeah, I don't.
1: It doesn't doesn't land as a joke. it,
0: It really doesn't. (laughs) um so yeah we 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 get that she walks across the room like i said steel or like you just said steel doesn't look convinced you know do it again like miss holt but better (laughs) and we get a quick scene shift and the loft door opens to reveal roxy with a cigarette looking every bit the part of tracy crockett so much so that they all declare she's got it Roxy says she's got sore puppies <laughs> sitting down to massage <laughs> her feet. She puts them up, knocks over something off the table. I'm guessing it's a Fab, Faberge egg or something. Cause she um, later says she apologized to, to Laura and Steele corrects her saying the rich never apologize for anything. And she says, so I broke your lousy egg, blow it out your ear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. She's still Roxy. You can take the country yeah. out of the girl, but not the girl out of the, no uh, girl out of the country, but not so the country out of the girl. Here's, <laughs> here's
0: the part that I, like, that makes no sense. I think Steele is right that you have to. She has to look the part. She has to walk the part. She also has to talk the part. Wouldn't it make sense to work on her speech, specifically her accent?
1: See, this is where I think the plan falls down. Yeah. Because you don't ever get her close to anybody.
0: No, you'd want to keep let her interact with
1: anybody. You just walk her through where people can see her, and then you get her out of the way. Yeah. Because you yeah. don't want them interacting with her to find the flaws. All you're wanting to do is instill fear in somebody that she's gotten away. Yeah. And if they had done that, their plan would have worked. Actually, their plan did work, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because yeah. that's exactly what happened with the chauffeur. But yeah, this is where their entire plan just falls apart. Because no, I'm sorry. No, no interaction with anybody because you can't change a person's personality, their voice, their behavior in a yeah. short period of time. Not well, like that. And I
0: mean, like they could have at least if, if they knew that she was going to be at, at any point potentially talking to somebody. Uh-huh. they they would have needed to work on her accent at the very least. Yeah. Anything else could yeah. be excused as just Tracy. Tracy just lost her father. She's acting a bit weird. Uh-huh. But she has an accent that she never had before. Where did she come from?
1: But the thing is, <laughs> even in the short period of time, or even if they worked on it and concentrated on that in the short period of time, they're not going to get rid of it. I'm, I'm sorry. No. My, my no. dad was born and raised in Texas. And... He moved out and he didn't live there since his probably late teens, early 20s, but he still had enough of an accent that when you were talking to him, it wasn't it wasn't all the time. It wasn't real heavy. It was just kind of yeah. a, a hint, but it was still there. It was still the hint. And so you're not going to change that in Roxy uh, in a shorter period of time. Now, if you need it to interact, I, I'm sorry, I've got laryngitis. Yeah,
0: something like that, right? You and know, it-
1: some... Something to cover the fact that she's, or to to some some excuse to present a reason why she's not speaking and to cover that. So yeah, yeah. I mean the, the whole the whole plan just at this point it's just falling apart.
0: I mean my my husband so. is from Scotland and he's been here thirteen years now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and even now when people meet him, inevitably after they meet him they. They say to me privately, I don't understand him. Like every (laughs) single person. I can't. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, no offense. But I can't understand a word your husband says. I'd be rich. Like, I would, <laughs> I don't own a home, at the very least. <laughs> uh, I joked about having him come on here, you know, and to give his expertise when it came to the soccer, but I'm like, in that one episode, but I'm like, no, nobody would be able to understand him anyway. So it would be kind of pointless.
1: It would have been fun. <laughs> it would been, been fun. We got to made a contest out of it. What did he say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, by the way, I asked him about the boxing thing from the last episode and I was wrong. See, I can admit it. It does happen. What, um, what, um, you couldn't remember we were trying to decide because I had heard somewhere or read somewhere that you could win on points even if you got knocked out. Oh, yeah, out. that's right. Um, No, if a, a knockout is a win. Straight up. So I don't know where I got that idea. It was from a movie and movies are wrong. But
1: anyway. And movies are never wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. they. <laughs> They they don't, uh, they, they've they got everything but, but her voice, basically. Yeah. They pull up to the house, and the first person to exhibit surprise that she's there, the chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Laura watches them go, suspicious. They ring the doorbell, and that's where Roxy says, hey, they got a band. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you know, and the thing <laughs> is, you know, we've talked about it before, how uh, in this season, Laura's skills as a detective have been diminished she's she's gone into detective senility well, what was their plan well so we're going to show her off and right away somebody's going to go racing off to check and see if Trace and the chauffeur does. And what?
0: exactly
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh no he's just a chauffeur
0: <laughs> but i i guess maybe that's the point is that the episode is trying to also show us the ways that people overlook the hired help and don't really notice mm-hmm. them That's true. So in that respect, and he is a chauffeur, so going to his car is not necessarily unusual behavior.
1: Yeah, except that normally a chauffeur goes to a car to either drive someone somewhere or to, you know, they've been instructed to take it to the shop to get the service done or go get it washed or whatever. Uh, mm, Nobody gave him any instructions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well,
0: I, again, to be fair, they were assuming that it was a family member that has kidnapped her because they have more at stake. They they well, don't know this is a personal vendetta against people who true. overlook the hired help. So, that's true.
1: That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah, they uh, they don't notice he he. Hey, they got a band. <laughs> yeah. She calls the butler pops as they enter, which. <laughs> Is gold. He also looks surprised. They walk into another room and steal gleefully notes. All the suspects are here. He's loving this, which is mm-hmm. really funny.
1: Yeah, he's imagining himself as being in a movie now.
0: He is. He is. He's. He's Henry Higgins, right? So that's right. Uh, he points out Norman Baines, which is interesting because his name is similar to Norman Bates. I don't know if that was intentional, <laughs> but there it is. Um, or Uncle Norman says that he's trying to prevent, or she is trying to prevent him from getting her father's company. That he's their most likely suspect. Norman looks at them with deep hostility. <laughs> he uh-huh. then looks at Junior and tells him that that's her stepbrother, and he's bitter about being cut out of the will. He also gives them a dirty look. Steele then points out Claudette, her stepmother, who glares at them as well. And this is where Roxy says, "Is better than Dynasty," <laughs> <laughs> which is great. <laughs> And here's what, again, where I'm a little confused. Laura's upstairs cracking the safe using a tool steel Uh obviously gave her. Why the heck is he Uh not up there and Laura not down with the guests?
1: I was wondering that one myself. And the only thing I could come up with is that it would look odd if Laura was Tracy slash Roxy's escort instead of Remington Steel. That's the only thing I could come up with. Because you're yes, right. It, but... Breaking into safes is not Laura's strong suit. It is more towards Steele's skill set.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they could easily come up with some, oh, I'm a friend from... Mm-hmm. Boarding school or something like that. I'm yes. assuming Tracy went to boarding school. Like it, I'm all, I'm here for emotional support in this trying yeah. time. Like there could be some.
1: Yeah. I, I'm an emotional support pet.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, weirdly, it's Laura that goes up to mm-hmm. crack the safe. Um, and the butler comes around with the, with the t- coffee. I think it is. And Roxy grabs it, starts pouring people their coffee, yeah. <laughs> uh, which the butler then calls it an appalling display, and then she suggests they could split the tips later.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, though. Markham, Markham is more of, offended that, she's that somebody of Tracy's supposed breeding is doing menial work. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. it's his work. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him some place. credit. He's got pride in his position.
0: Yes, he does.
1: At least to the extent that he's offended when somebody who has no business doing his job is trying to take yeah. over and doing his job. But, he, yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he says people should know their place. And yeah. this, again, very much befits a man of his age to believe that everyone has their place. And whether or not he likes it, this is his place. This is his job. Yeah. This is what he does. Women have yeah. their place. I'm the loser. You can't place.
1: be the loser. You're taking my yeah, job. <laughs>
0: exactly. And in his mind, like I said, men have their place. Women have their place. Everybody needs to stay in their place. But, and uh, that's part of the, uh, probably the only sexism, classism, whatever that makes sense in this episode. The rest of it feels very forced. But, this part of it, and it's funny. Just his response. Yeah. Split <laughs> the tips later. Appalling display. <laughs> 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 Ooh, um, <laughs> Uncle Norman then approaches her, saying that he didn't expect to see her there. When Roxy asks why, he says, "If she thinks she's just going to take over the company, she has another thing coming. And if she persists, he will grind her to pieces." Roxy is not intimidated. <laughs> you don't scare me, buster. <laughs> Steele says, easy, Tracy, which causes sort her of to pause, and then the doorbell rings. Uncle Norman slings Song. do they know any other song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, every, everything that Roxy says is pretty much hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: it is, yes.
0: I don't know why Steele leaves her at this point. Like, that makes no sense. To to just walk, wander off and tell her to keep an eye on Claudette and Junior and then walk away. He, I mean, obviously the script has it there so that he can witness the display with the mistress. But
1: mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of is that he's going to go up and check on Laura,
0: which he, he does after the yeah, yeah after the mistress thing. But still, like, yeah, but he you think doesn't that get to if, it right away. If they want to keep this charade working that he would stick on her like like glue. Yeah. Because she could royally mess things up by saying the wrong thing or even not recognizing the right person. Like in the yeah, original or script. Just opening her mouth. Yeah. In the original script, there's a a point at in this party where Claudette asks her to get her get her her usual drink and she goes off. And in the script, she comes back and says, "They were out of your usual and gives her something else because obviously she doesn't know what that is, but like right. you think Steele would worry about something like that happening, so he'd uh-huh. stick by her, yeah, <laughs> but he doesn't. He wanders off, and Samantha, a mistress of Ross Crockett, storms in with a vase in her hand. I am just so sick of seeing these gorgeous women in love with these. I don't get it. (laughs) This seems like extreme wish fulfillment on the part of the writers. (laughs) He's like, like two decades, at least older than her. And, and, and it's not for the money. They, they keep making this thing very clear when we get these characters that they're in Mm -hmm. love with these, these guys, Ross Crockett did not come across as a nice guy. So, it's not you even know. his personality, right? We The last one we saw was Berkholzer, and he was a murderer. What are they seeing in these men? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. Make
0: it make sense. <laughs> uh, oh,
1: like I not Like, Claudette
0: know. Is, is a gorgeous woman, too. And it's pretty clear she's with him for the money. So, that makes sense. But, like, uh-huh. Samantha... She storms in. She's got this vase in her hand. She tells Claudette, no matter how many henchmen she sends her way to take away the things he bought her, he can't take her memories. She says, Ross Crockett loved me, and then smashes the vase on the floor. Claudette comments.
1: You know, uh, sorry to interrupt, but.
0: No, no, go for it.
1: (laughs) I'm thinking here, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump ahead. I don't think Samantha loved Ross Crockett. I think like Claudette, it was about the money and we will find that out later in the episode.
0: I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that when we get there. Uh, (laughs) So we'll, we'll see. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Claudette comments saying this was quite the floor show. And she condescendingly says that his past mistresses have gone a bit more quietly, but that there's a first and last time for anything. And when Samantha says nothing, Claudette basically adds, if you're finished, you can go. Like, she is not rattled in the slightest by this.
1: Okay, puppy, go. Yeah. Go Go, go to your bed.
0: You're dismissed, right? Like, this does not in any way faze her. Uh, She leaves and Steele watches Uncle Norman ascend the stairs heading for the room that Laura's in, so he follows him, loudly saying that the loo is not on the second floor, in the hopes of alerting Laura. Yeah. <laughs> Norman says that he'd always hoped Tracy's taste in bed would improve, so much for the power of prayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, Steel winces certain Laura's going to be caught, but inside the room, she's nowhere to be seen. The window is open, however, and Norman closes it before going to the safe. Outside on the roof, we see Laura climbing across the Spanish style roof before jumping down in heels.
1: And and can I say that that looks to be Stephanie doing the gig?
0: Yeah, it's, doing the yeah. gig. She has said that she did most of her her work.
1: Well, I know, but I mean, yeah. can you? you know, give us some of the stories of of actors getting injured on set and all the insurance issues involved. And I mean, obviously, when you are looking at the scene, they're shooting up from the ground level. There are people on the ground level. So she is definitely up there. there. And those tiles, even with good shoes, are tricky to walk on. And she's got Something that's got a, at least a little bit of a heel on it. Man, this, I don't think this would be allowed to be happening now. No. But the fact that Stephanie is, managed to do it is just, you know. It also
0: makes no she's sense. She's astounding. Any woman with half a brain would take her shoes off first and hold them in her hand. Because she then jumps down. If you were to jump down off a roof in those heels, you would not land. Like, your heel would, would buckle and break those shoes would break. They would not, structurally, they would not stand up to that amount of like force when you're jumping from that height.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Unless you were really, really practiced and you could just land on the balls of your feet and shift your weight forward enough that you don't impact those heels on the, on the downward motion. But yeah, I mean, just the fact fact that, yeah, just the fact that Stephanie was, it was even up there in the, in the first place. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You got to give her a lot of credit for doing <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Because, well, not only would, not, would it not be allowed these days, but I can't imagine that there's too many actresses or even actors who would be willing to do that, even no. if they were allowed to. It's just, no, oh, no, no. Yeah. I've got a stunt double for that. I'm just, well, I'm too much, I'm much what, too important to this movie.
0: I mean, that's what they're forced on doubles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in yeah. reality, jumping off a roof and heels like that would be the quickest way to a broken ankle, unless you know what you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, I agree. She uh, makes a comment to the onlookers about how the roof is a lovely place to read. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but she's got the contents of the safe in her hands. Steel comes down the stairs, sees Laura out the window, pointing towards the folder. He finds Roxy in the room telling a body story about, and basically holding court among those <laughs> present, which is awesome.
1: Like she's just, and I told him you try that again, Buster, and he yeah. did I liked it. <laughs> it's awesome.
0: He grabs her, he hustles her out, stopping only to empty her pockets of all the silverware she's stolen, saying that yes. she is a gift for it. <laughs> and then she says, "Don't you take things when you're on vacation?" And Laura points out that this is not the Holiday Inn, so I have to ask you, Eric, on the record, do you mm-hmm. take things when on vacation?
1: <laughs> um, the soaps, the shampoos, yes. Okay,
0: fair, 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 fair. No towels That's,
1: because they're going to throw those out anyway if you've yeah. used them. You know, yeah. And and so I say, well. I picked it up. It's still in the wrapper. It's still sealed. But I used it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: I, yeah, so those those I take. Nothing else. I, I haven't taken any towels or anything like that. No? Now. No silverware. No?
0: I, I definitely What did you take? Never <laughs> taken a towel.
1: <laughs> but
0: But I've definitely taken a towel or two in my time. <laughs> I gotta tell you though, there's there's a story that I I will rename the family members involved, but uh we, we went on vacation, and uh, family member A, let's just call him family member A, returned to our hotel room wearing a very large sombrero after going out to dinner. And uh, we asked where family member A got said sombrero, and family member A said it was a door prize. And i um, okay. I was about, I don't know, 12, 13 at the time. And we found out later on, years later, that uh, it was by the door. <laughs> and uh, family member A asked uh, a friend of the family to get up on the table and create a distraction so family member A could walk off with the sombrero. <laughs> so, some people take okay. things while on vacation, and family member A is my mother. Anyway, um,
1: so. <laughs> That's like one of those, I won't say who it is, but it's so and so.
0: It's definitely my mom. <laughs> So yeah, that was a... Uh, <laughs> Roxy clearly <laughs> sees this as her prerogative since she's on vacation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I don't see... Um, I, yeah, that's fair. Roxy Good. says that she has to go to the bathroom. Laura points out a cabana and she heads towards it only to get hit on the head with a rock before she falls into the pool. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Laura thanks Steel for the warning and asks how she's doing and Steel says, excellent, but nobody panicked at the sight of her. He also tells Laura about the mistress and suddenly they hear a scream. They run towards it and see Roxy face down in the pool. Steele removes his shoes before jumping mm-hmm. in and pulling her sure. out. Sure. Just saying. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, shoes are not appropriate in the pool because you'll get the water dirty, but they're perfectly fine on the roof. Sure. I don't see the problem here.
0: Yeah, the logic makes perfect sense. That's right. <laughs> Uh, because the roof
1: is dirty and you don't want to get your socks dirty or your stockings.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: And if you'll buy that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So yeah, they help her out and he does CPR in this scene. She does not have the folders in her hands at all. And you don't see them anywhere around her, which is interesting. She obviously dropped them somewhere back and nobody picked them up. So yeah.
1: Well, that's good. Nobody picked them up.
0: Yeah, it is good. (laughs) Roxy finally wakes up, and wow, this one tough party. (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
1: Oh, she. I I see here. She has them as they're running toward the uh, pool, and then she sits them down, drops them down in um, one of those wicker chairs.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't see that part, but yeah.
1: I only see that because as we were talking about it, I'm running the video back, and I'm (laughs) (laughs) there. You go. (laughs) I'm cheating.
0: That's that's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> Laura has the hey, files. Okay, now
1: that's one, that's one little glitch that we won't get caught on in the Facebook group. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> we win. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. We
1: love it. <laughs> um, yes, we do. So,
0: <laughs> Laura has the, in the, the next scene, Laura has the files in her hand at Tracy's apartment. She says that there are no shortage of people who want to see her gone. Steele points out Norman was the only one with something direct to gain. He's just out of the shower and wearing only a towel. Roxy pipes up and says, <laughs> oh, if- I'm, I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. I just had a flash in my head. <laughs>
0: Of him um, okay, uh, wearing only Sheldon.
1: a towel. <laughs> Girl, Cheryl, you're only wearing a towel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having flashbacks. Actually,
0: that makes me think of that Simpsons episode where Homer picks up the phone and he says, he's in a towel and he says, you'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. <laughs> so makes no sense.
1: No. Nope. Uh, anyway.
0: So, yeah, he's only wearing a towel. Roxy pipes up and says that if they want her to say it was Norman, she will. <laughs> Which is funny, uh the doorbell rings, and steel lets Mildred in. She gets all out of shape when she sees steel <laughs> in a towel, and Steele points out that she's seen men in a towel before, and I mean we should also ma- mention that she saw him in his underwear in yeah steel away or uh, yeah, like the me, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she kind of panicked about that as well, because she was like, I, I never thought I'd be here in Mexico watching a man take off his pants.
1: <laughs> <laughs> huh, wh- why? Where do you normally watch them? <laughs> right? well,
0: and I, I, weirdly, Mildred's seen him half naked on Far more occasions than a secretary should see their boss out naked, yeah. but yeah. here we are.
1: <laughs> but she doesn't seem to mind. I mean, she'll be properly embarrassed, but you know, yeah, she'll
0: she'll pretend embarrassment. But she's <laughs> yes. he seems oddly fine with letting people see him almost naked. I will say, like he did not seem to have any issue stripping down in front of Mildred, and Roxy's also kind of a perfect stranger, and there he is wandering around and just as you know, like well, remember he had been a boxer. In the
1: he had that's been boxer, and they they don't really wear a whole lot of clothes, so yeah, you know true. he's kind of used to it.
0: <laughs> uh, so then she, Mil- he he points out that she's seen a man in a towel, and Mildred says, "Well, you're not a man. You're my boss, and we have to stay in our respective roles in order to keep the integrity of the relationship." Which is interesting because that's exactly what drives the butler to act the way he does.
2: Mm -hmm. Right? Like this
0: idea that they have to maintain their respective roles. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying HR would not have a field day with (laughs) this (laughs) if there wasn't HR to have a field day. But uh, still, (laughs) it's not exactly super appropriate, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Me anyway,
0: <laughs> Laura pipes up and says that's old-fashioned thinking. And Mildred asks Steele how he would feel if she came to the door wearing a towel, <laughs> and then he agrees with her and goes to change. Ouch. <laughs> uh, Laura asks Mildred about the file she's holding. Mildred says it looks like a stock ledger. Steele is not quite in the other room yet. He, her, well, in, behind the screen. I mean, he. He perks right up at this. He goes behind this this screen to change as Laura finds several IOUs from Junior to some bookies. They theorize that without Crockett to bail him out, he had to make good on his debts, and that he might be counting on a cushy job from Dad. Laura also notes that Norman and Claudette appear to be an an item, and uh, which gross, ew. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least Claudette is consistent. She goes where the money is, right? Like yes. Steele suggests paying a visit to Claudette, to which Mildred asks, don't you think you've been through enough today? And Steele replies that dedication doesn't punch a time clock and tells him to lock the door while he's away. Laura gives Mildred the ledgers, asks her to look through him. They leave. Roxy says, he's really something. I'm even beginning to like the way he talks. (laughs) And Mildred (laughs) says, claws in, honey, he's spoken for. (laughs) Which, again, in the original script, Roxy developed a full-on thing for him like and mil and laura became quite jealous which is interesting because that i think would have been a far more believable side plot because steel does have a tendency to a gravitate towards the most glamorous blonde but also B have a a thing for women who need his help
2: Mm -hmm. right yeah.
0: Right. So Roxy being vulnerable, being scared, being having to do this role that she's in, it would make sense that she would be seen by Laura as a threat. Even if she's not Steele's type in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. Laura would perceive Steele's natural inclination to protect her as something more than it is, right? But
1: Well, I don't know if she that. she would necessarily perceive it as a threat, but she would certainly she would see it as him just, you know, you're just taking it a little too far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so. they arrive at the Crockett Mansion and demand to see Claudette. The butler tells him to come back in the morning, but Laura insists, saying it involves Tracy's welfare. The butler says, well, what about my welfare? I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh. I can't be gallivanting around answering the blasted door in the dead of <laughs> yeah. night. It's time you young people showed some respect. Yeah. He's just like protocol be damned,
0: right? Like this guy, this, this is the F around and find out part of his career. He has <laughs> no more craps to give. He is just done. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, <laughs> he is kind of right. I mean, you, you, it's yeah, not really,
2: it's, not wrong. It's, I mean,
1: It's not really good protocol to just go and interrupt somebody's sleep in the middle of the night just because you want to ask them a question. I mean, come on.
0: And I mean, it's funny, though, because like that whole the practice of knocking on somebody's door when they're not expecting you is all but gone now. Right. Like unless you're selling something or you're a Jehovah's Witness, there's there's very few people that just knock on people's doors these days. And we were watching a a horror comedy last night called Totally Killer, which was very funny, but it's a kind of a riff on Back to the Future in the sense that this character's mother is killed by the same killer, supposedly, that killed her three best friends in the 80s. And so she goes back in time. And there's a moment at the beginning of the, the movie where she's supposed to be picking her friend up to go to a concert in 2023, and they drive up and she walks up to the door and stops and her dad's like are you not going to like knock on the door i thought we were picking your friend up and she's like yeah i'm texting her and her dad's like well why don't you just knock and she's like uh cuz that's rude <laughs> i'm just like it just made me think of this because like just the the difference in how we what we perceive as rude versus not what we perceive as rude I won't answer my phone now if I'm not expecting the call, like, <laughs> or if I don't know who it is. If yeah, I see if it comes person, up
1: as as no number no or number, something like that, I'm, I'm not yeah.
0: answering it. The, the, if it's yeah. important, the machine will get it. If it's somebody I know, I'll answer the phone, obviously. But people I know, if don't it's call important, me, they text they'll leave a message. <laughs> yeah, they will. And if right? they don't
1: leave a message, it's somebody Wasn't trying important. to just exactly sell yeah. you something. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So yeah, he has a point. You're right about. We've been trying to find
1: you about your car insurance. Oh, I get so many <laughs> scam calls.
0: My my favorite is when they tell me that my credit card has been approved for an, uh, like an increase or whatever, and it's from an American bank. I'm just like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I I had mentioned this previously. I think I might have uh, how I used to work as a courtesy uh, shuttle driver for a a car dealership here in town and they gave me a company phone and I would get these phone calls from companies about your warranty is about to expire. Yeah. We, you know, we want to talk yeah. to you about your warranty. Yeah. It's a company car. And it's a company phone. It's I'm sorry. Much. Yeah. And it's a yeah. car dealership. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, steel anyway. attempts to, pacify the or mollify the, the butler here by saying it must be difficult without his employer and the butler responds that he'd been with him for 40 years and had never had a kind word <laughs> he didn't leave him anything which was his prerogative but since he doesn't have him to answer to buzz off
1: <laughs> he has my prerogative to tell you to buzz uh, off yeah that's right And inside we
0: hear claudette say let them in Markham tells her that if she wants them in, she can let them in before storming off.
1: (laughs) I like him. I I really really do. I know he's a
0: murderer or, well, a kidnapper, an attempted murderer, but, like, I don't know. I like him. (laughs) Claudette comments on how they they are the friends who saved Tracy. And Laura uh, boldly asks if she's disappointed, claiming that she would likely prefer Norman as chairman. Claudette disagrees, saying she would prefer Tracy because ever since Norman took over, their stock has dropped precipitously. She goes on to say that Norman intends to write off $40 million in losses due to a building he had constructed and then abandoned. Reggie, the lawyer, walks into the room tucking (laughs) his shirt into his pants and asking if everything is all right. I gotta say, I gotta wonder... What are you
1: doing, Mom and Dad?
0: (laughs) Why the heck... Claudette did not look pleased with Reggie, the lawyer, when he gleefully announced everybody loses. So why is she sleeping with him?
1: (laughs) He's got his own money, I guess.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess. Sure. Anyway, yeah. Maybe he's been (laughs) siphoning
1: it off from the old man for years.
0: Could be. (laughs) That's where it's
1: all gone.
0: Laura clocks it and asks her if there's any bets she hasn't covered, which Claudette shamelessly says, none that I can think of. (laughs) <laughs> gotta hand it to Claudette. She knows how to play the game. <laughs> yeah. So there's that <laughs> back at Tracy's Mildred says she thinks she's figured it out. She's about to go find Steele when the doorbell rings and the chauffeur comes in saying he's sorry that I got their wires crossed, but he can't wait to be alone with her. He starts kissing her and Roxy attempts to get rid of him with all sorts of excuses that he ignores. Mildred has crawled behind the bar. The chauffeur offers to go fix her a drink she kisses him to distract him while Mildred sneaks out the door. She then suggests that he go get her a burger or something for himself. He's suspicious thinking that she's trying to be rid of him which obviously she is. And the doorbell rings. She gets it and Mildred saunters in calling herself Belle Krebs of Houston. Yeah. And okay, you just said your dad was from Texas, so I need mm-hmm. you to rate her accent.
1: <laughs> um, it's a TV accent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I've never. Oh, let's see. You know, the th- thing is, Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia and all, all those areas have their own little versions of their of their accent. Yeah. So, I'm I'm not an expert in which accent goes, you know, to like which which state or which part of the state or whatever. But that doesn't sound like any Texas accent <laughs> I've ever encountered.
0: Uh, me neither. And I've I, I mean I've never lived there. I've been through there. And I've been to Georgia, and I've been to Oklahoma. And you're right, they're all different. The one that I found the most difficult to understand was the Georgia accent. That mm. I went into a subway once in Georgia, and the person started rattling off all the ingredients, and I stood there gaping, like, is this English? I, don't, I, could not, <laughs> I, I was like, I'm sorry, could you, could you repeat that? Like, and it's funny, because I can understand my Scottish husband without a problem, and everybody says they don't know what he's saying, but that was difficult. Texas, yeah. though, I didn't find Texas that hard. You're right; it's yeah. a very TV Texas accent.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely um, over the top. the The, yeah. the Texas accent <laughs> that I'm familiar with is, I mean, it's noticeable. It's got a twang, but yeah. it's much more. It, it's 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 more subdued than what we're hearing here out of uh, <laughs> yeah. Bell Cribbs. But I,
0: I love it. I'm not going to lie. It is the best. This whole performance is hilarious.
1: <laughs> well, of course, because Mildred loves playing the role of she, detective or, or undercover. She, I mean, she just, every time she gets that, that opportunity, she yeah. just goes for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, she really does. Like being Steele's wife and, oh, honey, honey, oh, did they hurt you? And then, <laughs> you know, stow it, lady. Get the, you know, her bit with the IRS. And now this? Like it's just. Yeah. And we get use more of them later
1: on. Too. Oh, she's, she's <laughs> so
0: perfect. She uh, she apologizes for missing the party, claiming she was moving cattle. And then she says she has a passel of Crockett stock and she's fixing to give her vote tomorrow. Roxy's standing there, kind of stunned. <laughs> she goes with it, and uh, then Mildred claims it's on the condition they get to know one another. Then stuffs some money down the chauffeur's shirt, telling him to get. Them I'm up surprised to the she apartment. didn't name a
1: little lower. <laughs> I right,
0: because she, yeah. <laughs> uh, because they have some jaw boning to do. She then grabs his butt and says, "That's prime, honey. <laughs> That's some prime. <laughs> and don't you think I don't know my meat?" <laughs> I,
1: oh, there's so much that I could have gotten in trouble with on this.
0: I just can't even with this scene. I'm. It just. It's one of those moments where you're like, if you were ever questioning why they went with Doris Roberts, this is yep. why.
1: Yeah. This <laughs> can you imagine some 30 something <laughs> doing with this no it, it would, would not be
0: funny at all it's hilarious <laughs> here she just she's just giving everything in this little scene that she's got and then uh the chauffeur who is understandably furious for two reasons one it's mildred's interrupted his attempt to kill roxy or whatever he was going to do with her yeah whatever um, and two, like she's grabbed his button, called him Prime as Prime, honey. Like, <laughs> oh, so then he storms off and she slaps it, tell, calling him a spirited young buck. I, I don't know. I just, I this is the best. This is the best. <laughs> you know, we should we should at some point maybe if if <laughs> if we ever get around to doing any supplemental episodes that we we keep saying we're gonna do. Just one on Mildred alone, just all her best <laughs> moments, and have people like send send in what they feel are her best moments, and and just uh, yeah, because I think she deserves her own episode. <laughs>
1: um, all right, everybody, you heard it. Start sending them in.
0: Yep. You know, our
1: emails dealwatching at yahoo dot com. Find yep. it on the website. <laughs> anyway, I just
0: I all, I've all told us that we're doing that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So he leaves and they both hug each other in relief. Cause obviously that w- was scary. They didn't know why he was there. Mm-hmm. And Steele and Laura come back to Tracy's Roxy's asleep on the couch. She tells them that and they Baines- don't
1: lock the door. I
0: know. I know.
1: I, know. <laughs> I mean, here we already know that Tracy is a target yeah. and Roxy is pretending to be Tracy. And he told them to lock the door when they left. Right. Uh, Obviously, he was aware of the potential dangers earlier.
0: Uh Why not now? Okay, I have a theory. Okay. Steel was wearing a Canadian tuxedo earlier. Uh Canadians are notorious for not locking their doors. Maybe he's channeling his inner Canadian.
1: That's my theory. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's all I
0: got, it's all I got. <laughs> the,
1: the best I can say to that is that uh, years ago, my wife and I lived uh, in a part of town that was, it wasn't a bad part of town, it wasn't a great part of town, but it wasn't bad. But it was kind of on the edge of a bad part of town. And we would leave the house and never lock, we would never lock our cars. Didn't, didn't, didn't do it, didn't need to. But now in the same town, In much better neighborhoods, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving anything unlocked. So, (laughs) you know, you got to read the neighborhood (laughs) and the situation is all I got to say.
0: No, I I agree. I'm just making a joke.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a Canadian joke, eh?
0: (laughs) Darn right, eh? Uh, She (laughs) tells him that uh, Norman Baines was intentionally causing company the company to suffer losses so that people would dump the stock and Norman could buy it up cheaply. She tells him that he owns more stock than anyone realizes. Steele surmises that Norman was their man after all. And then, of course, behind them, Norman says, at your service. My God, he's a drama queen. (laughs) (laughs) What a dramatic entrance. He's stealing a page from Mr. Steele's book. here. (laughs) He's standing at the entrance with a gun. Norman says it's amazing how a gun can cut to the heart of things. He asks Roxy who she really is.
1: Indeed. Yeah and when when she responds his comment is is whoa yeah whatever else she is tracy crockett is a lady and i've more known truck drivers more lady like than you <laughs> I, I i think roxy should be offended i think truck drivers should be offended i,
0: yeah. I was going to say like if i was going to say how do you feel about this comment <laughs> uh ouch and laura mutters yeah. nice job professor higgins <laughs> so yeah Uh, Steele asks if he plans to unmask her at the shareholders meeting and Norman says, why bother? He assumes nobody will vote for her and that they're going to eat her alive. So he plans to let things play out as is. Mm -hmm. Which I got to admire his, again, the flair for the dramatic, right? Uh, (laughs) Laura asks him if he kidnapped Tracy and he denies it. He tells Steele that he came for the ledgers and takes them. He says that he, Junior and Claudette have nearly enough shares to defeat her anyway and suggests that Tracy might have just flaked out and left town. So,
1: yeah. You know, my question is, what does – I don't know anything about stocks. Me and either. what does taking the ledgers have to do with anything? Because a ledger is just a record of something, but it isn't – Um, it's not like without the ledger, it doesn't exist. It's not like without the ledger, you can't find the proof because all you have to do is – look at who owns the stock, and, and I would think that you'd be able to find that out from looking at stock um, sales reports and, and all this other stuff. I mean, what does not having the ledgers, why why were having the ledgers so important to him?
0: I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong because again, I don't I don't know anything about stock either, but and if anybody does know about stock, please correct us. My guess is that. Oh, you
1: know they will.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Somebody's already emailing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this even We're already... <laughs> already getting posts in the Facebook forum. Even though this episode hasn't gone live, we're already getting posts in the Facebook. Are you idiots, you don't know anything about stock. Blah, 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 blah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we are idiots. We don't know. Please correct us, please. We love, yes. we, no, I'm seriously, we, we do love it when uh, yes. people find the stuff we miss. But my assumption is that it's not necessarily the fact that he's bought the stock. It's mm-hmm. that there's something in the ledger that that pr- proves that he intentionally damaged the company so that the stock price would fall, allowing uh, okay. him to buy it. Because okay. that's that the part be. that Mildred points out. She says that he's been intentionally causing the company to suffer losses so that s- so people dump the stock and then he can buy it up cheaply. Um, well,
1: that information would still be on record somewhere else. Would just within the company's yeah. uh, official financials. But, yeah, maybe the issue is that by getting the ledgers, he can forestall that knowledge getting out
0: until after the meeting
1: until after the meeting. and, yeah. and then by that that point it's it's all said and done, and nobody can do anything yeah. about it. So too bad, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, he leaves, and Roxy, she's frustrated saying mm-hmm. she really blew it. Laura attempts to console her when the phone rings. Mildred answers it and tells them that Tracy's car has been parked for 48 hours in a one-hour zone at the airport, and they're going to tow it if she doesn't go and get it. They show up at the airport. Steele and Laura are directed towards the car. Why doesn't Why doesn't Roxy come as Tracy to collect the car?
1: That Well, that would be a good question if she had Roxy's ID.
0: They have her passport.
1: Well, uh, the security guard may not recognize that as valid. <laughs> I mean, I after all, that... he's just hes just a security guard at an airport. I would think a passport sorry, would be the most valid I, thing. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm offending security guards at airports. <laughs> um, but, but you know, how many people would actually accept a passport as valid ID? I, oh, I yeah. used to
0: bring it with me all the time to the bar.
1: Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, a, I think there's I a of I didn't lot have a driver's that, license.
0: Right? So that was my that was that was its government issued ID. And you're at yeah. an airport. What better place to have a passport as ID?
1: Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Although I I did have a, a situation years and years ago where some guy tried to and I don't know if this was legit or not. Some guy tried to use a so-called United Nations driver's license as his ID because he didn't have a driver's license issued by you know any state government that where he lived here in the United States and it's like mm, I don't think so but i i don't know if it was legit or not i i didn't accept it my manager <laughs> <Fair> did <enough. laughs> my manager did but i didn't
0: that's fair so i don't anyway. know if if there is such a thing as that either but uh i do know there is such thing as an international driver's license because you can get it for some countries that don't yeah, have yeah but usually driver's you also license, have to but-
1: don't you also have to have a driver's license issued by a local authority to?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Base that on. I mean, yeah. because if you don't have a driver's license anywhere,
0: yeah, are no, you, you going to you have to, to get... have one somewhere? Yeah. What so What anyway. drove me crazy is that Scott, who is coming from the United Kingdom, where they drive mm-hmm. on the other side of the road, was able to just waltz into Canada and be like, "Hey, can I have a license?" And they gave him one.
1: Well, <laughs> that was. What, 15 years ago?
0: No, that was 13 years ago, but it's still the okay. case. Like, yeah, it's but, a reciprocal driver's license.
1: Yeah, well, uh, even though Canada is kind of their own country now, they're still kind of uh, beholden to the mother country. And so, yeah, I can I can kind of see that because they're all part of the UK in a sense. But what do I he know?
0: Dented, he dented the rental car the first time he drove here in Canada. <laughs> He backed into a Tim Horton sign, which is the most Canadian way you can dent your rental car. So I guess maybe he did deserve it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> he's a real Canadian. Yeah, you he's did. a real
0: Canadian. He backed a up Horton into sign. the Tim
1: Horton sign. Eh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they show up at the airport. And
1: was he drinking to Molson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, God, no, we would never touch that swill. <laughs> Alexander Keith, all the way. <laughs> uh, actually i I live in uh my this the city I live in invented they banned Labatt. Molson no no, well wait. the city I live in was uh the place where the bat blue was invented, so
2: oh
1: okay,
0: and for the longest time, that was Molson's direct competitor so <laughs> anyway, anyway so back they, to the episode they're back at the <laughs> airport Steel, I got a comment, another fashion comment on steel's uh outfit here. I hate leather suit jackets, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them because you've got pants that are not made of leather and a jacket that is.
1: And if you do, then we're well, having then a whole then other then conversation.
0: Well, <laughs> then it is a very different outfit, but like a suit jacket is not a coat, right? Whereas usually with leather, you, you make it into a coat. So this mm-hmm. doesn't match. First of all, you've got pants that don't match the the suit jacket. And it just, in my opinion, looks silly. I don't know about anybody else, but I think it looks silly.
1: Yeah, you know, leather is fine for things like motorcycle jackets or whatnot, but not not for a dress suit. No,
0: like a dress suit. Yeah, and it's L.A. That's got to be way too warm. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine that's that's comfortable. Anyway, they're at the airport. Sorry. <laughs> now we're <laughs> now we're back to the plot. Um, Steele picks the lock of the car, gets inside. Uh, he finds something in inside the car. Or sorry, the will, inside the car and assumes that it meant nothing to Tracy after all, but Laura feels under the car and finds wet cement. Steele jumps up, realizing they've made the wrong assumption or thinking they have. He says that they forgot what happens to Crockett's estate if Tracy's not elected chairman. Laura remembers it goes to charity, they see a list of charities, and one of them is the one controlled by Crockett's mistress. Here's, here's the, I think, here's the part where we're going to come up yeah. against your statement before. Steele and Laura yeah, walk we're into Samantha's butt office. Heads. <laughs> pretending to be from Jaglum and Jaglum, and looking to make contributions to a charity, they ask what the lovers fund is. Samantha says that they take care of people whose lovers have left or died. Laura is a bit rattled by the idea, saying, "Shouldn't you be able to provide for yourself?" Which again, oh come on, stop hitting us over the head with this.
1: <laughs> well, I can't say that I disagree with Laura on this. No,
0: I I, I I agree with her. It just in the context of every other part of this episode, it feels like. Mm-hmm. They're just reminding us yet again, right? Because she said I can Uh take care of myself earlier, and I agree with everything she said there. Because Uh yeah, I mean, but Samantha says some can, but some don't want to, and they need help.
1: The line, there you go. That's my problem. Some of us don't want to. We're too important to have to take care of ourselves. We should. We should have a man take care of us. (laughs) I mean. Okay, but I realize it's done for contrast, but uh, yeah, it's just but she's it, also that line is just
0: setting mm. up a charity for broken hearted lovers who have been left. Like
1: hearted women lovers because they don't and, want to have to support well, them, I, them. I don't know. Themselves. I get the Im-
0: I get the impression that this was an equal opportunity cash grab. <laughs> 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 but uh good
1: definition, know, yeah.
0: If if the <laughs>
1: equal opportunity laziness, yes.
0: Yeah. Um so she she says, and all contributions are tax deductible. So Steele comments that commends this enlightened approach and asks where they will be getting the funding. She says they're, they will be well endowed by an anonymous donor. This is where Laura leans in, wolfishly almost, and says, that wouldn't be Ross Crockett, would it? <laughs> Samantha <laughs> totally rattled. How did you know? <laughs> and then she tells them to leave. Laura demands to know what she's done to Tracy. Samantha asks if Claudette sent them and says that she doesn't know anything about Tracy being missing. And she doesn't need to because Crockett took good care of her before she died. She shows them the missing stock. Steele asks when he gave her this. She says it was the last time she saw him. He'd been out of the building that Norman was out at the building that Norman was putting up and given the stock to her for being one of the few people he could trust. So, I don't know. I to me here, she has no reason to need this money. She's got it, and yet she's still setting up this fund for people who have been left or whose lovers have abandoned them. I don't know. I, I feel like she actually did love the guy. Crazy as it is,
1: <laughs> I I I think it was still all about the money because she she described herself. I mean, when she said, some of us don't want to have to take care of ourselves. Well, if you don't want to have to take care of yourself, you got to attach yourself to somebody who has the means to take care of you. And that doesn't sound like love to me. That sounds like greed. Well, she already had the money, though. So she's not... Well, like no, she, but she only got it just before he died.
0: Because she, I don't know, because he, he, she was one of the few he could trust, and he doesn't seem to trust many people very easily, given the contents of his will.
1: Well, all she had to do was <laughs> be nice to him. <laughs> I mean, uh, look at everybody else he was surrounded with.
0: <laughs> true. Weigh in, <laughs> listeners. Weigh in. <laughs> uh Anyway, Laura clues in that Tracy might be in the building somewhere because of the mud and cement on the car. Steele says the kidnapping was an inside job and what a better place to keep her than a building that's already abandoned, so they leave
1: i Laura called- can i yeah, can I say at the end of that? I love his line, and I haven't commented on it before, and I probably should have because the way Pierce delivers it is he does this repeatedly and I, I mean, I just love it. Thank, uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. It's it's yeah. like all one word <laughs> mashed
0: together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's good at that. <laughs> like very animated, very frenetic, very like, all right, let's go. And then they yeah. leave. <laughs>
1: it's like there's no, no spaces between words. There's no periods at the end of the sentence. It's all just jammed yeah. together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. It's good. It's good. Laura calls Mildred, tells her to get Roxy fired or fixed fixed up for the stockholders meeting and to stall as long as she can They are in the limo headed for the building meanwhile at the shareholders meeting roxy is panicking saying that she's going to blow it embarrass herself embarrass her sister Mildred tells her to just talk about corporate responsibility and fiscal pride. She tells her if they ask her a question, to ask them to repeat it. If they ask her what she thinks about something, to ask them what they think about it and tell them that she, is, she has the issue under study, adding that it's worked in Washington for years. <laughs> yeah. So basically, just act like a politician and you yeah. know, don't say anything. Lots of, of words any, that don't yeah. mean
1: anything. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's what I, what I always told, told my wife that our kids do sometimes. And that is, and what other people do too, you give a response, but you don't answer the question Yeah, because, yeah. because most people will accept the response as an answer to the question, even though it had absolutely nothing to do with the question that was asked.
2: Yeah. Words yeah, came out of it, your
1: mouth. So you must have answered the question. I'm just too stupid to understand it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you think about it, it's kind of also like if you've ever seen uh, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? when they play Questions Only and they have each person... T- well, it's a sort of an improv game and essentially they have to speak on a conversation but only in questions. So, you know, they might say something like, Do you think I stole this? Do you think you did? You know, and then back and forth, right? So like throwing it back to them, but kind of implying the answer, as you said. So, yeah. (laughs) Very, very uh, clever in that respect. Laura and Steele arrive at the building. They get out start looking around. Steele says he can't think of anywhere they would hide her. And they kind of come across a a part of the dirt that feels a bit hollow, but they keep walking. Laura pessimistically says, you mean alive? She urges him to think, and Steele finds a, a board face down with an image of the finished building. Laura remarks that this was quite the plan they had, to which Steele says, yes, gas pumps and all. How can he tell from the picture that there are gas
1: pumps? Well, it's an artist rendering of what the building is supposed to look like when it's done, and it does include a fair amount of the, I guess you would call it the parking space, the the property that isn't covered by the actual structure of the building. And from the picture, you can see that in the picture, they have semi-trucks parked out in front of the building. So right. there's apparently enough detail in the painting there, in the artist's rendering of what the building's going to look like when it's done, that he can see gas pumps and a gas island, or it would probably actually just be diesel, but uh, yeah, okay.
0: I would say he can see it <laughs> there in that image. So, yeah, we've got, so Laura clues in and says, for gas pumps, you need gas tanks. And they go underground. Uh So, they go back to that hollow spot, revealing like a trap door. They open it, call for Tracy. Steel starts to climb in. Tracy says, don't bother. It doesn't have nearly the view I was led to believe it had, which And that's the sense
1: of humor. That's the sense of humor that Roxy's got, too. Yes. Definitely.
0: Definitely. (laughs) Back at the shareholders meeting, Roxy is panicking even more. Norman comes up and rather sarcastically introduces her. He walks to the podium. Or she walks up to the podium, tries to go back. He grabs her, pulls her to the re- the rest of the way, and suggests that she say a few words and leave an open forum for questions. She doesn't even get a chance to say a few words. Junior no. condescendingly says, "Tell them about your last trip to Rome," and everybody laughs. Right? Claudette then asks about the future of Crockett Industries. Roxy goes to on to, goes to answer, but gets too close to the mic, which makes that horrible feedback sound. Uh, she tells them that she is studying the issue. And Norman asks if she would like to come back after she's finished studying. They are such jerks to her. Yeah, like, because they, they think that she's
1: she's nothing and they're everything. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Back at the building that they are, they are taking Tracy to the hospital, she's upset that the estate might go to charity and that the others will win. She says she wishes that she knew which one did this to her, but she was hit with chloroform and didn't see them. Steele says it's too bad that her boyfriend wasn't here. Tracy says, mm, Rodolfo's in Rome, and Steele clarifies that he meant Eric. Tracy's surprised by this, saying Eric is only the chauffeur. Steele and Laura realize that they have figured it out. They say that Eric must have shown up at Tracy's to put Roxy at a commission, but that he might be headed towards the shareholders meeting right now. So they hightail it back there.
1: Yeah, and it's through through this scene, at the end of the scene, where Steele comments to Fred, and we, I can't see that we see enough of Fred to tell who it is, because he's he's still in the front seat of the vehicle, and yeah, from the profile at, that we do it get. It like
0: him to me, but yeah, you're from right. From the profile that we anything. get, it
1: doesn't look like to me, but, yeah. you know, it's hard to tell, so. True. Anyway. Yeah.
0: So they uh, back at the meeting, Norman is mentioning the company's recent losses and asks what she would do to cut them. Roxy says she would can the present management, starting with him.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Applause, applause, applause. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I guess this is the the downside of deliberately tanking your company so that you can buy up all the stock. People aren't going to have a lot of faith in you or how you manage things. Yeah,
1: exactly. But see, a lot of times it's not the people that, the, the the common, ordinary, everyday investors that make the decisions on this, it's yeah. the few key people that you're buddy-buddy with or that you've bought off or that they think, okay, if we, we put him in, we've got some influence with him. And so that's, yeah. You know, so I'm I'm sure he felt pretty confident in his position despite Probably. his behavior.
0: Yeah, that's true. Claudette tries to ask another question, but as she does... Steele and Laura come in to find Eric there with a gun waiting. They punch him, grab his gun, demanding to know who hired him to abduct Tracy. Laura checks his wallet, finds out that his last name is Markham. Steele is surprised, asking, does this mean the butler did it? (laughs) This is like his dream come true, right? Like, this is the moment where he's like, oh, yay, the butler did it, I get... Yeah, uh, which is great. I like it
1: <laughs> because um, in the mysteries, you never let the butler do it because it's so cliche. Yeah,
0: uh, we then see Markham stand up with a gun in his hand. He fires it into the air, but because he's old and his hand is shaking, he doesn't aim very well. Roxy ducks, and he tells her to stop moving. <laughs> 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 oh, stop yeah. moving! I can't I mean, hit you. <laughs>
1: That's what uh, you do when you're trying to kill somebody. You ask them not to to Yeah, resist. could you please
0: stand still so I can shoot you? Um, <laughs> Roxy ducks, and he uh, sorry. She asks what she ever did to him, and he tells her certain values must be upheld. And she asks, well, "Don't I have any value?" And Markham tells her that a woman doesn't belong at the head of a major corporation. And Roxy says, well, "Where does she belong? Serving cheeseburgers in a truck stop?" And I love Markham here. He says, "Oh, sure, that's fine." Like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like he's having a conversation with him. yeah that's acceptable and then he shoots again knocks a flask out of junior's hands and junior says hey good shot <laughs> uh these are the parts of the episode that really work for me like these bits and the bit with mildred and like I love you know it.
1: that good shot it reminds me of something <laughs> i heard and and i can't remember what what it was attributed to it's like um alabama or it's some some Southern location. I'll say Alabama. I don't think that's correct, but it's an Alabama marksman. It's described as person, uh, somebody who takes a shot at a building and then afterwards walks up and paints a circle around it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like a And That's what just
1: reminds me of. It, you know, I'm not a great shot, but I'll take the credit for it by, by yeah. <laughs> pretending.
0: <laughs> uh, Laura eventually grabs the gun from Markham and Mildred adjoins, adjourns the meeting. So, yeah. Meeting adjourned. We'll figure this out later. Scene change. We've got Tracy in bed resting when Laura and Steele knock and ask the nurse if she can see visitors. They bring in Roxy to meet her, and the two women sit down, both smiling at each other. And this is a really sweet moment. Uh, they don't really say much. She says, so you're my sister. And, but there's clearly like this feeling of belonging for both of these women, and this feeling of, of just knowing each other already. And it's really sweet. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed that scene. Thought it was nice.
1: How do you feel about it, visually?
0: Yeah, visually, it it suffers from the old uh, trick that they used to use in order to have two people appear to be twins that aren't really twins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It it visually it it sticks out it because we have better ways of doing that now. I guess.
1: Yeah, I've I've always. Whenever they've done something like this in a TV show or a movie, it's, and I have to say, this one is done fairly well, because you can't really point at any one thing that says, "Oh yeah, I can see I can see this vertical line here." I can yeah, see this yeah. this issue with the shadows. There are some issues with the shadows, but they're not real. Maybe it's that's it. Maybe there's enough of an issue with the shadows that that's what I'm seeing. But there's something about it that just just doesn't seem natural but i mean i'll have to give them credit they did a pretty good job on it
0: yeah i mean it wasn't bad by any stretch but it was it was noticeable for sure
1: yeah and maybe it's part of part of the issue is just that i know that it's the same actress playing both of them and so in my yeah. head it just it just yeah. looks wrong
0: that could be it yeah so,
1: anyway just when, me laura, me.
0: <laughs> when laura and steel leave she asks if he saw their faces, still comments that it was simply a luck of the draw that made Tracy, the heiress and Roxy, the truck stop waitress. And Laura says, well, can't a person can't let their birthright stop them and says, look at you, which is, is nice of her. Like she's for, this is one of the few parts of the episode where she, she seems to build him up based mm-hmm. on his past. And he says that he's been lucky. He's had a few good opportunities and Laura says that he's made the most of them, adding, however you began, you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> which
1: <laughs> which I am certain was inspired by the Virginia Slims ads.
0: Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember what commercial that was from, but I knew it was from an ad because it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Because that was their slogan. You've come a long yeah. way, baby.
0: So, Steele tells her that there are parts of his past that are obscure.
1: That
2: are as
0: this is. I see. I told you we switch places. This is me doing this. There are parts of his past that are as obscure to him as they are to her. He says they are less painful that way. This is probably the first real hint that he has given to her that he doesn't know who he is. That he's starting to admit these things to her is new, because he's told that to agnes fowler and he he's told that to other people but he hasn't really said it to her
1: yeah although i mean laura obviously knows some of it because she got it yeah. from daniel but yeah it's the first time he's said it directly to her
0: yes yeah, yeah laura right knows there. it but yeah he it's the first time he's kind of been direct about it so this is this this part is progress between them and i like this scene he then suggests they change the subject and Laura says dinner in a movie, Mr. Steele, and of course that's where we freeze. So it's a it's a good episode. It um I don't it it's not my most favorite episode ever, but it's definitely a good episode. It's a strong story, it's got some funny moments. Laura or Mildred is hysterical.
1: Some great acting.
0: Yeah, some some great acting from the guest stars. Like it's it's good. It's definitely you know aside from some of the issues i have with it i enjoyed it
1: <laughs> yeah and i'm the same way you know like i said i i've got things about it that just they don't ring true i don't like the way that some of the characters were handled but it's a it's a good episode if you just kind of set those things aside
0: yeah and i again as we've said before even a bad episode and this isn't a bad episode, but even a bad episode of Remington Steel is, is better than a lot of yeah. you know, what we've got <laughs> on TV right now. So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely very rewatchable for sure. Yes. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So,
1: okay. That's awesome. I, I don't yeah, have anything else. I,
0: I don't either. On our okay. website, www.steelwatching.com, we've got show notes, uh, links to Amazon US and Amazon Canada. We also have. For those who were asking, the the links to the merch, so t-shirts, mugs, all kinds of stuff, as well as ways to support us. Also, other social media resources, such as?
1: Yes, Yes, we've got our links to the official Steel Watching Facebook page, the Twitter page, the Instagram page, and of course, the ever-popular Steel Watchers fan group on Facebook, where... A lot of these comments have come from, and so, yay, yeah, yeah, and and you know, I, I do appreciate the fact that people are commenting in the Steel Watchers group about the episodes I of the podcast. <laughs> I, I'll just say that if we don't say something about one of your comments, you you know, if you correct us on something or bring something to our attention that we missed, it's not because we're ignoring you. It's just because there's so much. I, hmm, just, I hate scroll it's, buys. I hate stuff, scroll buys, And it's just scrolled off, and we haven't seen it.
0: Well, so. and also because the group is so active. There's stuff being posted all oh, sure. the time. Oh, sure. Blame the
1: group. No, Blame no, 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 the I, group.
0: <laughs> no, I'm saying this as a selling point because I have been in a lot of fan groups on Facebook, and most of the time there's either nothing going on there, nobody's posting things, or people are just posting the same nonsense over and over again or getting into fights over silly stupid stuff about the show and honestly I don't this is the one of the few groups that is active and it's funny because it's such a it's a show that's been off the air for so long yeah and yet it's the most active fandom I've ever seen and it is the most pleasant fandom I've ever seen like I have never uh, people disagree sure but I have never seen people attack one another over an opinion in the show that may differ mm-hmm. from somebody else's it just simply it doesn't it it doesn't happen and I might knock on wood I don't hope right. I'm not jinxing anything but like everybody just seems so wonderful and lovely and join us it's fun
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm going to make a sec uh, an ageist comment here it's probably because the mean level of age of the members is higher than some of those other groups <laughs>
0: Well, and so I, I mean, the,
1: the maturity level might be a little higher.
0: No, I mean, like I, for example, some of the Buffy groups I've been in. Sure, back when I was when I was fourteen, that would definitely be the case. But now the mean age of the Buffy fandom is forties and up. So, yeah, um, but
1: I think in this group it's probably sixties and
0: up. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> uh, what are you uh, saying? I'm immature. Is that what you're saying? Huh? That what you're saying? I never
1: said you you sat there and heard everything I said. I never uh-huh. said
0: that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good group. So, but yeah, if, if we don't acknowledge something, it's just because we haven't seen it. And if it's something that you think you really want to bring to our attention, send us an email. Yeah, I, we, have we don't check those. the email every single day, but. You know, and it may be a, a few weeks before we get to it and respond, but we'll we'll get to it. So, yeah, send us an email. <laughs> it, it won't hurt our feelings if you duplicate something you said in the group. So,
0: All right. What is our next episode?
1: Steel Threads. Favorite.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the character's
1: name? Something from Birmingham?
0: <laughs> Blaustein. We got another Blaustein. <laughs> another
1: Blaustein, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> More Blausteins. Somebody loves yeah. that name. They really do. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, I think we're done. (laughs) Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Eric and Sarah here. Just a quick announcement to let you know that, yes, we do appreciate everyone who listens, participates, and supports the podcast in whatever way you do. But we wanted to give an extra thank you to those who are so graciously giving to be monthly financial supporters.
0: We are making live streams of our recording sessions available to anyone who is a monthly financial supporter. So not only can you watch us live as we record our podcast episodes, you will be getting access to the raw, behind-the-scenes, unedited version of episodes before they get officially released.
1: And, Sarah, does that include our mistakes and screw-ups and our humiliating? (laughs) (laughs) Every single
2: one of them. (laughs) Every single
1: one of them, yes. So, again, this is just an extra thank you to those who are going above and beyond. But whether you choose to become a monthly financial supporter or not, we still love you. We want to say we thank you for your support, your encouragement, and your feedback.
0: If you want to become a monthly financial supporter, please visit our website at www.steelwatching.com to sign up.